It began with the story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. It became an epic battle between the forces of good and evil. Now, return to a galaxy far, far away. The saga lives on. Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi was released in 1983 as the highest grossing film of the year. The final part of the original Star Wars trilogy and the story of Luke Skywalker's journey to Jedi Knight, the film has gone down as a blockbuster classic. My name's John, and with me, ATRM's very own Emperor and Darth Vader, it's Matt. You rebel scum. And Westy. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. All the right movies are in a galaxy far, far away to conclude the trilogy. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps we will. Hello and welcome to All the Right Movies, slimy pieces of worm-ridden filth, and a podcast on classic and hit films. Yep, that's everything. Yep, that's us. <laughs> this time round, we're back with Georgie Boy. Oh, here we go. We? We've got to finish it off. We've <laughs> yeah. got to finish it off. <laughs> There's bound to be some big laughs and huge opinions as we tell the story behind the conclusion of the original Star Wars trilogy in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You up for this one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we head to the forest moon of Endor, it's Patreon time. Of course it is. If you like what we do on this, our classic podcast, and would like us to keep on keeping on with it, you can help support us do that by becoming an All the Right Movies patron. Patrons gain access to bonus podcast episodes and our full archive of classic episodes, podcasts just like this one. The archive is huge now, and there are hundreds of hours worth of podcasts in there for you, other Star Wars films, and many, many more classics. Aren't they? Yeah, I think you need to do it to complete the trilogy. If we're doing this, then, you yeah. know, that's the least you can do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> work backwards. Yeah, work backwards. <laughs> yeah, from a certain point of view. <laughs> Bastard. Best way out of anything, that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Any plot hole solved by that phrase. Of course it is. <laughs> so to find out more and sign up, please visit patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. Please do. Yeah. For now, though, it is the Forest Moon of Endor. Mm. Return of the Jedi. Mm. So why did you put this one up, Westy? Because we needed to, to finish off the original trilogy, I think. We've done yeah. Star Wars, we've done Empire. Well, I love doing them, especially with you guys, because we've all got a kind of similar outlook to it. And I think Return of the Jedi, for me, is like the most fun of the original trilogy. It was mm. my favourite when I was a kid. It had just got great characters in it. You know, Jabba the Hutt was introduced when I was a kid. What, what is this? The Rancor, you know, Sarlacc. <laughs> you see the Emperor. And then it was for me, it was like, it's a green lightsaber. Ah, it's green. Ah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, and it was a real big punch for me. And this is a favourite of mine growing up as a kid. I kind of, it, it shadowed A New Hope because um, it was just so much fun and there was just so yeah. much to it. And it was just like eating loads and loads of sugar when I was like six, seven year old. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it for that kid. I'm doing it for Minnie Westy. This is for him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. I mean, we've done Star Wars. We've done Empire. It was obviously a matter of time before we got to Jedi. Yeah. 
and like those first two, it's been around as long as I can remember. And when I was a kid, it was my favorite Star Wars film as well. Yeah. Actually, one of my very earliest memories in life is of watching Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Right. I remember sitting cross-legged in front of the telly watching it. It finished. And I immediately pressed rewind on the VCR to nice. watch it again from the start. Oh, one of my right. earliest memories. Amazing. I mean, that actually was a long time ago now. So I'll be talking about how I feel about Return of the Jedi today. And watching it in advance of this episode, I was struck by how absolutely batshit bonkers it is yeah. at times. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Star Wars, so therefore among the biggest films made. And it's always a barrel of laughs whenever we talk about Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be looking forward to this. Great stuff. And Matt, Return of the Jedi for you. Yeah, very similar. I mean, pretty simple. We'd done the other two. Makes sense to finish the trilogy. We couldn't leave it like hanging around like an unwanted stepchild, not getting the attention, <laughs> anything like that. Um, yeah, it's a film I've always enjoyed, but where I differ from you two, it's never been my favourite of the trilogy. It was always the other oh, really? two. Yeah, yeah, it really was, even as a kid. So it's going to be a case for me either like your enthusiasm for it will rub off on me, or I'll figure out the reasons why it's never quite clicked for me. In the way that the other two did, but wow, okay. I think that's it's going to make a really interesting episode for that reason. You've always been a square, you must. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just wanting to be different. <laughs> right then, it's a galaxy far, far away. First stop, Tatooine, as we talk the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Let's do it. <laughs> Return of the Jedi picks up one year after the events of The Empire Strikes Back. The opening act takes place entirely at Jabba the Hutt's palace, and we're talking two pretty outrageous sequences. Yeah. The Pit of Carcoon segment is on our radars, but we're going to start before that, aren't mm-hmm. we? Yep. So, after a classic opening crawl, we find ourselves back on Tatooine. Han Solo, frozen in carbonite, is the prisoner of Jabba the Hutt, and a few familiar faces are on a rescue mission. The opening to the film brings us Jabba, Luke Skywalker as Jedi Knight, and the most famous space bikini in movies. Yeah. yeah. Or anywhere, for that matter. <laughs> Sorry, I said it like that. I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, what a Freudian slip. <laughs> Matt, if I told you half the things I've heard about Jabba the Hutt, you'd probably short circuit. I'm sure I would. How good is it as an opener? It's a confusing opener because I've seen this film <laughs> loads of times and I still cannot figure out what the hell the plan is here. Lando's <laughs> yeah. somehow already there, done what he's doing. <laughs> then the droids turn up to be handed over by Luke, so they're imprisoned. Then Leia turns up in disguise, try to rescue San, gets rumbled, so she's captured. Chewie's captured. Then Luke turns up and he's captured. It's all on purpose, isn't it? It's all on purpose. Well, I mean, it's all just to me like, well, with a bit of luck, fingers crossed, one of us will think of something and get the other ones out of there. It just seems so unnecessarily convoluted. Like, what is Lando doing there? Like, just hanging around? How long has he been there for? A year? He's been there for a year? Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Not the best disguise, either. It's not the best disguise. He's pretty famous. Like... Luke sends the droids to bargain. What if Jabba did bargain? Has Luke just given the droids away for nothing? What's his backup plan then? And, and Chewie's another person they've got to get out of there. So there's about four plans all going at once, all getting in each other's way. I mean, it's hardly Ocean's Eleven, you know. <laughs> get Don Cheadle in there, a bit of Barney Rubble. Um, and what's Jabba thinking? Jabba must be sick of this state of just person after person turning up like, Jesus Christ, who is it now? Leave me alone. Nice to work with real Jedi again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he must be like, Leave me. I want to watch this really weird housebound player. So, 
an unbelievably convoluted plan, but what I do like, though, it's yeah. the first reveal of Jabba because it's a reveal that's been worth the build-up. Like, only mentioned in the first two, you know, as a character, Vader has a grudge and respect for him, so you think, well, my God, who the hell is Jabba going to be? And he turns out he's a massive sand-coloured slug, and that's a great idea for a bad guy. <laughs> like, I don't know how something so immobile could command so much, like, fear in his own private army, but the design of him completely sells it. Yeah, he's like Corleone, isn't he? He's just like the godfather. Yeah. He just kind of oh, sits totally, there and yeah. does nothing. Yeah. yeah. Worth it for Jabba. Jabba is outrageous. Mm-hmm. Giant talking slug who eats frogs. Yeah. And is a fat bastard. Yeah. And a massive sex pervert. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> really sleazy. Horrible. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like classic Star Wars always did. They give us something, in this case Jabba, that should be laugh-out-loud garbage, mm. and somehow they make it work, because I like Jabba. I love his laugh. Oh, oh, uh, oh. It's awful. <laughs> and then that's all I like, I know that laugh. Of yeah. course you do. It's the only one. <laughs> if I had a tongue like that, I'd be a sex pervert as well, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is a sequence. I do like it. I think the costume design, the production design, is mm. particularly excellent. Yeah. Leia's costume as Bush... The Bounty Hunter yeah. is top-notch. Boba Fett's in there, which is always welcome. Brilliant. But I do have problems with it as well. I think the quality of the direction has already dropped from the first two films. Yeah, I'll talk about that more when we get to Richard Marquand, but it's a pretty instant drop for me. Yeah. And the writing of it, you touched on it, Matt, but it's mental. <laughs> it I is. mean, what's going on with this plan? 3PO and R2 turn up and get captured. Leah and Chewie turn up and get captured. And why is Chewie not with Lando? Where has he been? Doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. Then Luke turns up and gets captured. It's like you go in, then you go in, then you yeah. go in, then I'll go in, and none of it works. <laughs> Everybody fails. Chewie's been getting his hair blow dried yeah. for the last year. If you look, at him. I mean, he was worth it. He looks it's great. Blue font as fuck. It looks amazing. <laughs> I mean, it should have started with Leah and Chewie going in for me because yeah. that bit is quite good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when she's got the thermal detonator, I like that. Yeah, and then someone who loves you. It's a bit cheesy, but it works. I'll talk more in the writing section about what I think they could have done because I've basically rewritten the whole film. Amazing. <laughs> As usual. <yeah. laughs> but Jabba's great. The costume design's great. The writing is ludicrous, but it is good to see all the characters again. It I is. Think. Yeah. And Westy, you fancy going to Jabba's Palace for a few drinks? I'd love it. A few laughs? It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking troubles are over, dude. It'll be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm exactly the same with you guys. When I watched this again, I thought, wow, this is just nonsensical garbage. <laughs> but in the same time, it's so much fun. And the bit for me, it's like, you know, Master, you're standing on it. Oh, he doesn't know. And he doesn't know there's a rancor down there, which, to be honest, is being very, very well behaved throughout the whole rescue of Han. <laughs> that massive thing yeah. just underneath yeah. the floor. Yeah. Like, shh, Luke's coming in. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> you know, that big, fat, shirtless Donald Pleasance. Just like, but it's just the thing for me, this whole sequence, I just remember it being so massive and so big. And all he does is stick a massive bone in his jaws, which he bites down on and then doesn't use the force at all and just throws a rock at the door, which comes down incredibly quickly compared to how well it, how slow it went up, and kills it? How did yeah. no one else think of that? And you just got to go into this going, oh, okay, Jesus Christ. But, I mean, the whole introduction to it, I used to absolutely love it because that's what I wanted to happen. Mm, yeah. As, but as a six-year-old, it's not what mm, I want to happen yeah, as a 42-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, I like the Rancor. He looks great, the Rancor. It does look great. There's some terrible kind of like motion where he's he's coming up to the mouth and you can tell it's just a big screen and it's just Yes. And then it's dispatched immediately. But I would love it to be dispatched with more of the force. Well, yeah, he could have easily used the force to move the rock. Why didn't he do that? Yeah. You know, like Darth Maul does, but it takes like yeah. Phantom Menace to, to yeah, move yeah. something to open a door. Like, just have a think about it. <laughs> 
Well, apparently Lucas originally wanted the Rancor to be played by a guy in a suit. And they did try it, but it looked rubbish. I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) As usual, ILM came to the rescue. And they shot it with a high-speed puppet. I think it does look really good still and still stands mm, it up. Does, yeah. It does. What is a nice touch, I think, is after the Rancor's killed, we see the Rancor caretaker, or whatever he's called, mm. crying yeah. his eyes out. Yeah, yeah. Always feel sorry for him. I do, yeah. Donald Pleasance yeah. for me. Yeah. Like, he, he does, does look yeah. like that, yeah. It's the Rancor's noise <laughs> when he's like finally gives up. And <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> whimper. <laughs> that little whimper, yeah. It's like, did he want to be there? So he's a prisoner in himself, really. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. For Jabba, though, he was a huge animatronic and it took six people to operate him. So you had two men inside operating the arms, head and tongue. Another guy inside moving the tail. And then there was a guy below the actual puppet operating the mouth. And then two radio operators for for the eyes. But on set, Carrie Fisher caused an issue because during production at one point, she had to climb over Jabba's tail. But she put a foot straight through the puppet and hit one guy in the head with a heel. So that had to pad that area up and just get on with it. Wow. You kind of tell, like, I don't no. think. It looks like just one It looks good. Thing. Yeah, it looks yeah, great. Yeah, it looks really, really great. Yeah, the animatronic itself took three months to build. It weighed one ton and cost half a million dollars. Wow. And it was built by Stuart Freeborn. Remember him? Oh, Freeborn, yeah. Yeah, guy who looks like Yoda. Yeah, yeah. He designed Yoda. Yeah, yeah. He based yeah. him on his own face. Yeah. And with Jabba, he based him on one of his friends. Fuck <laughs> me, I don't ever want to meet him. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. <laughs> I didn't Imagine. know. Good <laughs> <laughs> in sync, are they? Like... <laughs> Most insulting thing ever. <laughs> based him on his ex. <laughs> <laughs> when Leah first turns up, she's dressed as a bounty hunter called Bush. Bush speaks an alien language and has a distorted voice, and I've always loved this voice, and I've mm. never quite realised where mm, it's from. Great. The voice of our artist was called Pat Walsh, and she did one other film, and she did the voice of E.T., and once you know that, it's so obvious. Uh, I love that like, kind of distorted right. effect. It's great. Yeah, it's a great voice. Apparently, Pat Walsh smoked two packets of Camel cigarettes a day, hence the voice. <laughs> Just right. for that voice. Can I do that? Can I <laughs> <laughs> Straight back on the tabs. Also, I think you might know this, but there is a link between Jabba's Palace and an American werewolf in London, if you remember. Do you remember, Matt? No. Jabba's Palace, American werewolf London. Is it because it's too heavy? It was still too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bib Fortuna, that's Jabba's kind of lieutenant who's always whispering in his ear. Oh! Yeah, and Luke was saying it's got a snake around its neck, and I was like, it's not a snake. That, yeah. That, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> He's played by an actor called Michael Carter, yes. and Michael Carter was also in American Werewolf as the guy who comes a cropper against the wolf in Tottenham Court Road tube station. Right. Yes. yes. Okay, yeah. He's great in this. Yeah, yeah. He is, he is good. good. Does he call Jabber a wanker at the start? <laughs> <laughs> Jabba wanker. Yeah, Jabba yeah, yeah. wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know his character's name in American Werewolf? No. No. It was Gerald Bringsley. Right. Okay. I'd rather be called Bib Fortuna than yeah, Gerald yeah, Bringsley. Gerald Bringsley, you <laughs> proper Tory name, that isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Imagine being called Gerald Bringsley in Bold and Comp twenty-five years ago, Westy. <laughs> I'd be dead now. You wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> I'd be dead. Other famous thing: Leah's outfit. God talk about that. Extremely famous when she's dressed up in the slave bikini. That was designed by a woman called Aggie Gerard Rogers, and her inspiration was a fantasy artist called Frank Frazetta. But originally, Lucas was going to dress Leia in a more like formal military clothing, and it was actually Carrie Fisher who requested the more skimpy outfit. Of course, it was. <laughs> <laughs> You've got it flaunted. Eh? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> also, this bikini, does this mean that Leia was like Jabba's sex slave? Because yeah. that's disgusting. Really I think horrible. it's more of like a look what I've got. A prize. Mm. 
surprise, yeah. I don't think anything physical happened because what could? <laughs> I know, I don't know. God knows, I don't even want to think about no. it. <laughs> but I would like to think she was just there as like a, like a trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as Blockbuster opened as Go, this is one of the most bonkers, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Insane. After the excitement of the Rancor, there's another big action set piece. Jabba sends his prisoners to be sacrificed to the Sarlacc at the Pit of Carcoon, and here we see the end of Jabba, the end of Boba Fett, and Luke's new lightsaber. Mm-hmm. It's green, Westy. It's green! <laughs> this is an action sequence. It's, I mean, it's it's ludicrous, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the wind speeding through the desert, and the hair barely moves. <laughs> it's yeah. just this like, little wisp. Yeah. And then you get the, you know, free us or die. And you just see, like, R2 with this little thing. You can say, is that, is that a lightsaber? Does he even use the force? He's just lucky where he lands. He just puts his hand up, and it happens to land. It's R2. R2's a great yeah, shot. Yeah. Of course yeah. he is. R2's a Jedi. <laughs> the thing with this sequence is just Han and Chewie and Lando as well they're like the three fucking stooges yeah <laughs> comedy it is really comedy <laughs> bumbling around Chewie gets shot holding his knee and, and Han cannot say anything Lando's straight over the side he spent a year preparing for this and he just falls off <laughs> 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 fucking rubbish and you know that Sarlacc's like terrifying you're going to be digested over a thousand years and he's like Boba Fett Boba Fett where it turns around yeah. everything's just an accident how is yeah. this planned? Yeah. How is it planned? All Luke does throughout this whole film is just jumps on other stuff. That's all he does as a Jedi. He just jumps on things. Oh, there's something over there. I'll jump on it. And he's just whipping this lightsaber around. And there should be limbs left, right, and center. Yeah. <laughs> if only. Yeah, I just I did love this sequence when I was a kid. I loved that idea of it. I loved that whole mm. sail barge before this kicks off and you've got that big party. Reminds me of like yeah. one of DiCaprio's yachts, I would imagine right now. Just <laughs> 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 get on there with him, that's what it's like, Jabba's sail barge. I remember reading a story years ago that Freddie Mercury at his parties would have like dwarves walking around with trays on their head with yeah. lines of cocaine on it. Yeah. And R2 in this always reminds me of that because he's got yeah. a tray on his head and he's about three foot tall. Imagine. <laughs> Oh, two coke and a lightsaber, no wonder he hit the spot. That would explain a lot. That yeah, would be fair. It would. Yeah. If that had just happened, we would have been like, well, this makes perfect sense. It's the best film I've ever seen. Yeah. There's a moment on the barge with Jabba's little pet, Salacious Crumb, who reminds me of my cat, just a little bastard. And he's a little bastard, just laughing all the way through, and he's chewing on C-3PO's eyes and they're kind mm-hmm. of hanging out the sockets. And when they filmed this, Anthony Daniels was in the C-3PO suit and he had a panic attack. So obviously it would have just been like really hot and everything was going on. He kept shouting, get me up, get me up. And they dubbed over his lines, but that was the take in the film. And I think he's actually got that final line of like, get me up. And you can see him sit up by himself. Oh, right. So he's yeah. like really panicking. But that salacious crumb is just a little shithead. Oh, little yeah, bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Although him poking three people's eyes out, that's great. Highlight yeah. the film yeah. for me. He's not a fan of that. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a tough one to draw. <laughs> well, I think similar to the last sequence, I like the design work. Jabai ships are like pirate ships with a plank. That's quite cool, I think. Yeah, yeah. The design of the Sarlacc is good, clearly influenced mm-hmm. by the sandworms from June, I think, with all yeah, the teeth. Yeah. But while the sandworms in June move under the sand, what is the Sarlacc? Just yeah. a big mouth sitting there. Yeah, just stays there. Waiting for people to fall in. I bet I can't believe it's luck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, loads of people. <laughs> Must be starving. But like a fucking buffet. <laughs> <laughs> I do like quite a bit about the Jabba's Palace stuff, but I mean, I think it's far too long as well. If it was like 15 minutes in total, an opening sequence, great. But it's about 40 minutes. Yeah, it's nearly half the film. Yeah. 
Well, before they get there, there's that bit of writing that strikes me as really sloppy when Luke says to Han, I used to live here, you know, like surely Han knows that, doesn't he? Yeah, he, yeah, he, of he, he knows where yeah. he is. He knows on Tatooine. He's not forgotten <laughs> yeah. where they first met. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I'm really surprised that line slipped through. It's a really poor line. But then you get the Sarlacc, and I think it's one of those concepts that Star Wars does really well. It's a terrifying idea, and that's the thing for me. It's terrifying as a concept. Mm. Like this creature just buried in the desert, but it will take forever to digest. Yeah, like as a kid, that's just such a horrible concept to be like eaten alive yeah. for years on end. Yeah, and yeah. it's such an easy, cheap design. Huge mouth, the teeth and tentacles. But I do think a looks good and in general what resonates with me and it's to do with Jabba's palace before this as well it's how tactile all these creatures are because to me that's a huge appeal of the original trilogy like the Sarlacc the gods with the tusks Salacious Crumb Bib Fortuna you want to reach out you want to like touch them you want to prod them you know what does Bib Fortuna's head feel like that big snake (laughs) thing is like slimy is it dry is it cool I really don't want to do that Oh, I do. I just want to like, give it a prod, like it's a spongy. <laughs> what about the dancer? Fermi, is she called, I think, at the start? Oh, definitely give her a prod. <laughs> <laughs> the whole sequence with Sarlacc was filming Yuma, Arizona. At the time, it was hotspot for buggy enthusiasts, and there would be thousands of people visiting there every week. So Lucas and the producer Howard Kinzanjian said they would be making a horror movie called Blue Harvest. They even had T-shirts and caps made for the crew and came up with the tagline for the movie, Horror Beyond Imagination. Wow, not a bad tagline, to be fair. It's not. It's probably the best thing <laughs> Lucas has ever written. <laughs> Could have said horror more powerful than you can possibly imagine, but yeah. they given the game away. From a certain point of view. <laughs> <laughs> but Blue Harvest, that title came from somewhere. Do you know where? Blue Harvest... Um, Blue Harvest. You do amazingly well to guess it. <laughs> um, oh, I had no idea. Then. There was a novel called Red Harvest by Dashiell Hammett, published in 1929. Right. And that novel was an inspiration for Yohimbo by Akira Kurosawa. Right, okay, right. So Lucas went for Blue Harvest as a tribute. Okay, right. right. And if you go to blueharvest.com, it's still redirected to the Star Wars website. All right. Oh, wow, really? Which is quite nice. See, yeah. I was going to be like really uneducated to be like, is it from the blue milk? That's where the blue came from, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, I think so. A lot of the blue, like the lightsabers and the, yeah. Yeah, a lot of it has mm-hmm. a blue kind of feel to it, yeah. So one benefit of many of being in All the Right Movies Patreon is that we answer your questions on the show. Mm-hmm. We have our first Patreon question now. It's on the Pit of Carcoon sequence and it comes from Daryl Keeping. Hello, Daryl. Hello, Daryl. So Daz has asked us, he didn't actually die, sure, but do you guys think the death of Boba Fett is the lamest demise of a badass character in film history? Or is there another that tops it? Oof. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think it probably is, because it is kind of hilarious that this character who's got like so much like aura in the Star Wars universe, so much mystique and coolness and threat, with very little screen time, very little dialogue, yeah. gets mm-hmm. taken out like an absolute chump here. He looks cool as fuck. <laughs> he's cool as fucking Empire. He looks cool he as does. fuck. He's a cool, he does. He's probably the coolest character in the Star Wars universe. He fair. does. But it, it's like you said, Wesley, just taken out by accident yeah. and isn't even trying to kill him. To win? Just barges in from the sense of flying. Yeah. Really funny, but, but yeah, for, for Dal's question, it probably is. I mean, I had to think, the only two I can think of that kind of come close, maybe a bit of a stretch, but I thought Vincent and Pulp Fiction, getting blown away just after okay. taking a shit in the toilet, mm-hmm. not very yeah. dignified. And I've always been disappointed with how Bane gets killed in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, that's just, well, yeah, that it's a bit, uh, oh, was that it? Just, just shot by Catwoman, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one, yeah. No big showdown, yeah. So those two, the only two I think that could come close. Yeah, I think Boba Fett, he shouldn't have died this early in the film for no. me. 
They could have had him in the speed up by chase later on or oh, something with yeah, his jetpack. Totally. That would have been awesome. Uh, that would have yeah. been awesome. I do agree with Dabble to an extent. I think it's probably the second lamest death of a good character for me. What I would mention first is Jaws the Revenge, where at the end the shark jumps out of the water roaring like a lion and Ellen Brody <laughs> harpoons it with the boat. Yeah. That's utterly ludicrous. Yeah, but the lamest movie death for me has to go to Alien 3. Where after the roller coaster yeah. ride of aliens, Hicks ah. and Newt are both killed off screen before the film even starts. Yeah. I'm still furious yeah, about on. that. Yeah, I definitely had Hicks and Newt as like number one, but I, I've got two here. One that bugs me even more than Alien 3. Okay. Wow. And one that you should have got, John, I think. I don't know. I, I can't believe you didn't get it. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for Henry Jones Sr. when you, you've got. Yeah. Like, oh, is that right. it? Like, you know, Connery's yeah. still around. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ, is that it? Marcus yeah. Brody as well. That's annoying. Yeah. But Captain Kirk, Star Trek Generations. Oh, it's awful. You're right. It's they awful. Right. And why did you not get that in there? That is the worst. You're right. That is number one. <laughs> there you are. Falls yeah, off a but, bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. It just lies there bleeding. Just, <laughs> but also, yeah. I mean, if this wasn't a question on Boba Fett, Boba Fett would probably be number one, if I'm totally honest. Yeah. Yeah. So that is Return of the Jedi Act 1. Lots of spectacle. Han is saved and it's all pretty mental so far i think yeah oh, yeah just doesn't get any worse than this <laughs> or better the director the director of return of the jedi wasn't george lucas was it not <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even Irvin kirshner it was richard marquand mm. who i hear you ask yeah well yeah. A veteran of TV, mostly. He had directed three features at this point, which were The Legacy, Birth of the Beatles, and Eye of the Needle. And then, straight in there with the biggest film in the world, mm-hmm. which is Madness. It so, is mad. <laughs> how did he do as director, Matt? I think the direction is very safe. I think it's very controlled from above, and I do struggle to see any real individuality or vision on this film, yeah. I think. A lot of that has to do with Empire because it's worth remembering there was a pushback, quite a lot of pushback, to how dark that was. And I think Mark Wan's direction is like a direct retort to that. It's lighter, it's not as intense, all the edges have been smoothed off. And I don't want to pile in on the guy because a lot of people might not know this, but he was only 49 when he died, which was only mm. two or three years after this, which is really sad. So it's not like he has a huge filmography to base an opinion on him. And he did contribute stuff, but I think ultimately Lucas wanted a yes man here. I think he'd given Kirshner far more control than he wanted to on Empire. And I think with Mark Wand, he wanted someone who he could say to, can you do what I ask you to do without any questions? And that's what he got. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted someone amenable who he wouldn't get in a conflict with. And it is a fact, it's an absolute fact, George Lucas spent an awful lot of time on the shoots looking over Mark Wand's shoulder. And... In one way, I want to give him credit for Marquand because he took his ego out of the equation and he realised where he stood in the hierarchy, which is way below Lucas. But it does mean the film for me, it just doesn't have that kind of stamp on it that I want. So the pacing's a bit slack at times. Everything feels very soft. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's badly directed. It's just I can't get past the feeling that Marquand's job was there to pick up Lucas's storyboards and notes every morning and go, yeah, okay, I'll do them. And, you know, Mark Wand himself said something about this because he knew he was so inexperienced shooting this. And he said, because Lucas was permanently on set, it was like trying to direct King Lear with Shakespeare in the next room, which is a big praise <laughs> for Lucas, yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> the first, last and only time anyone's <laughs> compared Lucas to Bill Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, you're right, Matt. I mean, he doesn't have an easy task by any means, Richard Mark Wand. He's coming in directing the final part of a trilogy when he's had absolutely nothing to do with the first two parts. Yeah. He's got the creator in George Lucas breathing down his neck and watching every movie he makes. Mm-hmm. And the first two films are two of the biggest and most popular films ever made. So yeah. big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. Coming in at this stage, I think it's a thankless task, but at the same time, an opportunity you just can't turn down. Yeah. And to be fair, he does bring the trilogy home successfully, and mm. it's generally a popular film, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. However, I would hardly call it an inspired piece of directing. Yeah. I mean, there are some extraordinary visuals in Return of the Jedi, mm. but that's mostly down to the concept artists, design departments, and ILM, more than Richard Mark Wand, I think. The tone he handles nowhere near, as well as Irvin Kirchner did in Empire. Too much silly humour in there for my liking yeah. many examples but the bit on Endor where Chewie springs on a vine and does that Tarzan yell yeah Jesus awful. Christ yeah. that's bad Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah. that's the first time in Star Wars where I ever think that's awful that yeah, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. first but definitely not the last time but it, t- but it takes you out of <laughs> the yeah. place where they are of course it does it makes no sense yeah and the camera is too static, I think, for my liking. Massively, I mean, I'm not yeah. expecting Mark Wand to be Spielberg, but no. just a little bit Spielberg here and there might have yeah. been nice. Just a little push around, yeah. maybe on a dialogue sequence. Just move it slightly, kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I say, he didn't have an easy task as director, Mr. Mark Wand, and it is a drop from the first two films, like I said. But still, at a time where we now have had more bad Star Wars films than good ones, this is still one of the good ones for me. Yeah. I think, you know... <sighs> It's really difficult to to kind of comment on what he's actually added to this without Lucas breathing down his neck. It just feels to me mm. like you know that bit in in Empire where Luke's training and Yoda's on his back and he's doing trying <laughs> yeah. to do yeah. front flips. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Lucas is constantly just like yeah. hugging him, going, "Nah, that's wrong, dude." Like this, yeah. you want the impossible, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like. Richard Marquand was a, 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 an unsung hero because he took away the backlash for Lucas. But I think he does do a, a really good job with some of the, you know, some of the action sequences, some of the pacing, mm-hmm. some of the, the comedy that's in there. There's Maybe at some point he's went like, oh, this Jabba the Hutt sequence doesn't work and Sarlax is absolutely ludicrous. And I don't care about anything to do with facts. I'm just going to make this look good. I'm going to make mm-hmm. it feel good. I've got I've got John Williams on me back. I've got George Lucas. I've got all of this stuff and my name still goes on it. So I'm going to get some wedge for it. So I might as well do something. Yeah. It, 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 it has got a scale and it has got an energy to it that the others don't have. I mean, Empire doesn't have this energy. It doesn't mm-hmm. have this pace. And maybe he did turn around to George Lucas and say, Calm the fuck down. I'm not doing that because Return of the Jedi could have been absolutely outrageous. Return of the <laughs> Jedi could have been the Phantom Menace. But I think Richard yeah. Marquand went, no. You know when we did that episode and I was like, who's turning out with George Lucas and saying, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Don't do yeah. that. That was Richard Marquand. It's like Lucas put loads of Mentos in Pepsi and he's putting the top back on and going, fuck it, I'm going to hold this. Ah, I'm going to hold it. And then it explodes off camera, whereas it explodes on camera in Phantom Menace. For him to do that in his lifetime, I think that's a massive achievement to stand up to George yeah. Lucas and say, let's keep this grounded. Let's try and keep this a trilogy and let's make it make sense, which I think he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he does. I think you're right. This could have easily went into prequels territory, couldn't it? But he yeah. doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think from what he actually does against George Lucas in 1983, it's worth a fucking round of applause, to be fairly honest. Well, maybe unsurprisingly, Richard Marquand wasn't the first name Lucas thought of the direct Jedi, and he did approach some other very well-known filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Do you know any names? Coppola. Spielberg. David Lynch was in there, wasn't he? Lynch. 
Well, the first person Lucas wanted was his pal Steven Spielberg. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Steve would constantly turn him down. No, I'm not doing it. He knows better. He knows better. He knows better. Well, Spielberg couldn't do it because he was a member of the DGA, the Directors Guild of America. Yeah, that's Lucas right. Lucas had fallen out with the DGA when Empire came out. We talked yeah. about that on our Empire podcast. Yeah. So Lucas then asked David Lynch to direct. <laughs> Amazing. Great hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine the Ewoks with a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lynch said no in favour of making June. Yeah. yeah. So Lucas then asked David Cronenberg. And he said no to make video drum. Oh, right, Cronenberg, right. Wow. Imagine Cronenberg's version of Jabba. He'd be <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Just pulling Solo out of his belly. <laughs> so then Lucas turned to Welshman Richard Marquand. So Lucas had seen Marquand's second World War thriller, Eye of the Needle, and he was impressed by that. Okay. Birth of the Beatles, not so much. Not so much, no. <laughs> Still, though, it's not a Lucas film unless he's fallen out or having problems with someone, of it's not. which obviously <laughs> happened here. So, first of all, Gary Kurt, uh, you'll probably remember him because he produced the first two, but because Empire went way over budget, Lucas wanted to avoid that happening. So, he took on the exec producer role and promoted How to Kazanjian to the production team. <laughs> Lucas is doing everything. <laughs> Just doing everything. Just doing everyone's job for them. In... Yeah, with their name in front of his, though. Yeah. It's yeah. hiding behind everyone. He's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. But also, well, from Macquarie, who's huge in Star Wars because he was the concept artist for the first year. I think That's Star right, Wars yeah, is yeah. Or so much to him. Well, mm. he left because he was asked to design the Ewoks, but he hated the idea, so he put together some initial designs, but then obviously Lucas started to make them all look like teddy bears, and but Macquarie was just like, nah, I'm not having that, and just walked. Nah, I don't blame him. I don't fair, blame him either. Yeah, I mean, key Star Wars people like Macquarie and Kurt are a definite miss, I think, in yeah. terms of the creativity. Definitely, yeah. Howard Kazanjian did say, though, that on the day production started, he received a telex saying good luck from Gary Kurtz, which is nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And one from Spielberg, which said, it's about time somebody made Blue Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> I think the good luck he got was kind of like that guy from Taken, which was like, good luck. <laughs> You're going to fucking suffer for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to need it. Yeah. And Mark one was apparently a bit of a taskmaster on set, which I, kind of stands with my view of, he, he, yeah. he tried to do what he, he, he put mm. people in place. Mm. But the one person that he fell out with, with Car- was Carrie Fisher, which I find quite hard to yeah. to fathom. I thought they would have got on really well because, I mean, she really knew the character. But she mm. said, I hated him. He fell all over Harrison, which you would at that time, 83. I mean, he's just, <laughs> well, you would. Well, I would. I would now. And he's <laughs> but uh, he'd yell at me constantly. One time he made me cry and shouted at me because I was fucking up a shot. And I'm thinking, well, Carrie Fisher in... 1983, you point the camera at her, she can't fuck up a shot. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, but she can't. Yeah. Yeah. Every shot of her in this film is absolute gold, and she's amazing. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know where he's coming from. Yeah, making Carrie Fisher cry. I'm not having that. Nah, fuck no that. Nah. After Return of the Jedi, Richard Mark I was only involved in four more feature films. Mm. He directed Until September, Jagged Edge, and Hearts of Fire in 84, 85, and 87. Yeah. And then in 1993, he co-wrote Nowhere to Run, oh, starring JCVD. Yeah, 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 he did. It was posthumous, wasn't it? And he did something with Dylan. What was it, Hearts on Fire? That was, that was Dylan, yes, wasn't it? Dylan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and Luke loves Jagged Edge. He'll be straight on if this yeah. was Jagged Edge. He's going to say Jagged Edge is all right. Yeah, he loves Jagged Edge. It's great for yeah. him. Yeah. Richard Mark One then, great, isn't he? <laughs> He's yeah. been yeah. Yeah. The cast. Not exactly a big name director on Return of the Jedi, but that isn't true of the cast. 
that's because they were all mostly returning from the first two films. Yep. It's a pretty huge cast by this point, but we're going to talk about our three main leads. That's Carrie Fisher as Leia, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, and we're starting with the main character, the Jedi from the title. Mm-hmm. So Mark Hamill plays Luke Skywalker, the protagonist from the first film, and we follow him here from rescuing Han through Yoda's final hours to his final confrontation with Vader and the Emperor. Mm. Delusions of grandeur for Luke. Yeah, to say the least. How is he here, Westy? I think he's great, Hamill, in this. I think he's, he, he learns who exactly the, the character needs to be, and it's really theatrical. Mm. He's got these yeah. he's, he's line deliveries really serious. Like he's really taking this seriously, as if to say, this is the last Star Wars film I'm going to do, so I'm going to need a career after this, and I need to prove that I can act to a certain degree. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of brings it to it, even this, in this ridiculous film. Mm. He's got this weight to the character that he brings to it, and it really works. And it's when he's trying to convince Vader when he first goes back, and he's like, "Well, I'm just going to give myself up," you know. And then that bit when he, he walks to he walks forward, and he's like, "And that's why you're not going to take me to your emperor now." <laughs> and then Vader like sparks the lightsaber up behind him, and that reaction from him, he's like, "Oh, for fuck's sake! I, should, I shouldn't have tried that. I'm not ready for that yet." I think he does that really well as stuff. He's not ready for a massive career outside of Star Wars. Yeah. And I think he kind of brings that to the character, which is really good. Much better than I think he was in Empire. I think he was right. great in Empire, but he had that one main scene where he mm. just went, yeah, like and yeah. dove into it. Whereas this one, he says he's just, he, he knows the character, he sets a level for it, and I think he nails it all the way through. He makes Jabba's Palace kind of believable almost and acceptable mm. you know I, I, I think he holds the character really well there's a few bits of it that i just go oh when leia goes up and what's the man has asked me again sometime yeah. you know mm. he just he turns up out of nowhere as this hero <laughs> it's like when they go to the shuttle and he's like count me in and he walks down and like, oh there he is mark hamill it's luke all right if you want to speak to mark hamill which i never have and i probably never will but i would imagine if you speak to him you'll probably see he enjoyed playing this role the most in jedi because you can tell yeah, I get it. Okay, I buy that. It's great. Yeah, I think Luke's one of the best things about the film, probably. Yeah. Not because of how he is here, because I think he's a better character in Empire, but what stands out here is how striking Luke's arc is. Yeah, he's a better character in Empire, but it's, this is a better performance. And from here, from the very first time we see him, when he walks into Jabba's, he's Jedi Knight. Not mm. just in status and how he behaves. When you compare Luke in Star Wars, like whiny and annoying, like, yeah. I want to go to Tashi Station, all that stuff. Pick up some cowboys, yeah. Yeah, where here he's really composed, confident, pretentious, a bit of a smug twat. Yeah. yeah. He's changed Brilliant. so much across the three films, <laughs> yeah. but I buy it. I think it's one of the great three film character arcs for me, like the definitive classic one. And George Lucas, Lawrence Kasdan, and obviously Mark Hamill, I think all deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I think he's a, a great protagonist. Yeah. And I, love the, I like you touching it, Wesley, the colour scheme changes. He dresses in white in Star Wars, then grey in Empire, and then and black, black here. Yeah. Classic stuff, but it works really well. Yeah, I mean, he's always watchable. I always like him, but it is funny, that beginning, because that attitude when he turns up and he's so cocky. That's the last mistake you'll ever make. That's what you want when you're six years old. You want a Jedi to turn up and be like, this is a Jedi. And he kind of overweighs Alec Guinness's performance. He's yeah. even more confident. And you're just like, wow, this is a Jedi then. Yeah, that, that's yeah. where it's in. Cause, you know, but like watching it, I'm like, why are you so cocky? Like, 
you didn't spend that long with the automate. Like, you didn't learn that much. <laughs> you know, last, last time I saw you, you got your ass kicked all over on Cloud City. <laughs> yeah. And now he's turning up, doing backflips, dressed in black like Johnny Cash, just really cocky. Like, <laughs> who do you think you are? But you, you're right, it does work somehow. And I think that that's credit to Hamill. You know, he somehow takes his character, which is kind of all over the place at the beginning, and he just, like, gives it a grounding and a really, like, emotional centre. So I think he's much better in the later scenes when he's facing off with Vader in the Emperor, and it's the character just is on a level, and it makes much more sense. So, yeah, he's watchable. But, yeah, the beginning, I just have to laugh at him because I don't know what's going on there. The beginning is kind of like, you know, like if Russell Brand went to a yoga retreat for two weeks. (laughs) 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 He came back just full of himself. Symbols on his fingers and shit. We've mentioned it already, but Luke does have a new lightsaber this time around as well. A green little number. Mm Mm-hmm. It was actually going to be blue originally, like the one that you lost in Empire. Yep. And it is blue if you see the original trailers. But Lucas changed it to green because he thought the blue one was too difficult to see on the screen. Also, I think it serves as a narrative purpose as well. Different yeah. colour lightsaber to signify Luke's changed since Empire, mm, yeah. surely. Luke goes back to see Yoda on Dagobah. And he's there with when Yoda dies. And Yoda wasn't in the script originally at all. But Lucas thought it was best to remove any doubt that Vader was Luke's dad. And it is very, very heavy-handed. Yeah. yeah just, that's is, the yeah. only reason he's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Luke asks Yoda if Vader's his dad. And Yoda just turns away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Refuses to answer. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get away with that. <laughs> but yeah, I think we do need to see Yoda again, surely. He had to be in there. Yeah. And in the radio version of Return of the Jedi, Yoda wasn't voiced by Frank Oz. He was voiced a bit bizarrely by John Lithgow. Right, yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, because you sent me the link to listen to it. <laughs> well, for anyone that didn't, here is John Lithgow as Yoda. It's amazing. <laughs> that face you make, Luke Skywalker. Look, I so old to your young eyes. <laughs> no, Master Yoda, of course not. I do, yes. When 900 years old, you reach. Look as good you will not, hmm? Just sounds like John Lithgow to me. It does. Well, yeah, does. Cool. Yeah. What's going on there? It sounds like the body that he plays in Cliffhanger. It's exactly <laughs> the same. Imagine if Luke was searching for a suitcase with a lightsaber in it that'd be thrown off a cliff. That sounds great. It does. Much better than Return of the Jedi. <laughs> So, as much as Star Wars gave Mark Hamill a career in Hollywood, it also kind of ended it. Mm. After Jedi, Hamill wasn't in another film for six years, and yeah. that was Slipstream, a sci-fi film co-starring Paxton and F. Murray Abraham. Oh, fuck yeah. Together at last. He also returned as Luke in The Last Jedi. Mm. We might have a little bit on that later on. Mm-hmm. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the original trilogy, though, very good across that, I think, isn't he, Mark Hamill? Yeah, yes. brilliant, yeah. yeah. Our second cast member is Carrie Fisher, who plays Leia Organa. We see her go from Jabba's sex toy to befriending Wicked the Ewok to gaining a brother in Luke and ending up in a relationship with Han. Sex toy? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Did you write that down? Because... There was some merchandise Luke has missed out on. <laughs> so how was she this time round, Matt? I think she's the best out of all the three returning leads, to be honest. I think she's written the best. I think... The performance and character hasn't dipped one bit since Senpai, which I don't think you can quite say about the other two. And what I really mm. like about her character, though, is how pivotal she is to everything again. Like, when we did Empire, John, you made that really good point that Leia takes a backseat to the action pretty yeah. much mm. throughout that film, which was a shame. That is really course-corrected here. You know, she goes yeah. undercover to rescue Han. 
despite the mentalness of the plan. She's the one who kills Jabba, wants the one Endor. Again, she's all over it. She's on the speeder bike. She's in the thick of the action. She's leading the battle, leading the break-in to the shield generator. It's She gets the Ewoks on board. Gets the no. Ewoks on board. Like yeah. She does so much in this film, and I think she stands head and shoulders above everyone else. And she's the one element in this film that I think actually improves on what we've seen before in the other two and is, is one that you know the few things that really elevates this film at times but what i would say is the writing does let it down at times and i think the point for me that really lets it down is it's already been established in the previous two films how much he hates vader the man responsible for the death of a planet so that revelation when she finds out he's her father that should be devastating mm-hmm. it yeah. deserves a much bigger reaction than the script gives it to do it's very much Oh, man, that's that's a bit shit. But okay, I'll get on with it. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. should be massive, and it's not Fisher's fault. Mm. It it that's in the right much. I'll, I'll get on it when True. we talk about that. Same with the revelation that she's Luke's sister. These should be really massive moments, and the script doesn't live up to it. But she does. So yeah, I think she's really, really good in this. Probably the best performance from the three films. I think. Yeah. Well, following on from Luke, where I said that character's arcs played out really well across the three parts. I don't think that's true for the other characters who, in terms of writing and development, mm. have pretty much nothing left to do in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, true. I do like Leia's little friendship with Wicket, the scene where they meet and he's really unsure about her but comes to trust her. I like that. <laughs> but why doesn't Leia lead the rebels on Endor? Mm. They give that job to Han, the douchebag, in charge <laughs> rather than the competent leader. Yeah. Ridiculous. That's really 1983, though, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, exactly. That's exactly yeah. why it is. Yeah. But, I mean, she does get plenty to do, Leah, like you said, Matt. She's involved in loads of the action. We'll talk about the speeder bikes and the Battle of Endor later. Yeah. But Carrie Fisher, I mean, always love her, obviously. Yeah. And always a treat to see her on the screen, and that's mm. no different here, generally. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's that reveal when you know that, you know, she's that bounty hunter at the start. And mm. you're like, oh, oh there's Leah. It's just such, yeah. a, it's such a relief to see her. She brings this real familiarity to it she brings the love to the film mm-hmm. there's no love in the film apart from when you see princess leah and she brings everybody together and i think carrie fisher does it so well and she is really really good she knows the character so well she knows where she can go with it she knows where she can't go with it and i think she unfortunately does have to push a lot for the spotlight in this which mm-hmm. should not have been the case like you said there john mm-hmm. it should just be yeah she's leading the rebels on endor okay and then handle yeah. something else he goes with Lando. He goes in the Millennium Falcon like he always has. And yeah, it's just great. I just love watching her in this film over any of the others because she's not somebody who needs to be rescued. She's someone who can mm. do the rescuing. And if she's in the right situation and in the right place, she could save anybody. I think she could even save Luke from the Emperor at some point. Give her the ship, mm. you know, give her a crew and go in there and tear it up. Yeah, great. And it would have been incredible. But yeah, she's got to be the mother figure. She's got to be the love. She's got to have a feminine kind of softness, which yeah. I, I don't. I think she delivers really, really well. But as at the same time, she could fucking solve problems, yeah. and that was really rare in this era mm. of cinema. Mm. And I think that's why she's so regarded and so renowned now as Princess Leia, being that real, you know, fuck you, I can do what I want. Well, obviously, we're all fans of Carrie Fisher, mm. and it seems that most people, not Richard Mark One, but most people, were fans of her on the set as well. Yeah. Leia is the first person who comes across the Ewoks in the form of Wicket, who pokes her with his stick. And Wicket was played by Warwick Davis yes. in his first feature role and said that Carrie Fisher was really nice to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was worried about him spending all this time in the Ewok costumes, would bring him lots of milk and cookies on the set. And he said she was everything an 11 year old Ewok could wish for. Ah. an 11 year old Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> Just a six year old human. But I felt the same. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. 
And obviously, huge part of this, Luke and Leia revealed as twins, but that wasn't the original plan. The original plan was a sequel trilogy where Luke's long-lost sister would be a major character introduced Mm -hmm. in that. But by this point, Return of the Jedi Lucas was just too exhausted to even consider another Star Wars film, so he tied everything up instead. Yeah, just exhausted, repeating his own ideas over and over again. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Death Star again, is it? Do you want to blow it up? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there was no grand plan, clearly. I mean, it does work. Mm. It would have been nice, like you said, Matt, if it was about Leia being Vader's daughter as well. Yeah. All it's about is her being Luke's sister. That's yeah. all that gets mentioned. Yeah. And it would have been nice if Luke and Leia hadn't kissed an empire, but yep. can't do anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> Following Return of the Jedi, Carrie Fisher did have a successful career, appearances in other big movies like Hannah and Her Sisters, The Burbs, and When Harry Met Sally, mm. and also became a best-selling author. Sadly passed away in 2016, but mm. she'll always be Leia, surely. Yeah. Always. Oh, amazing. The third and final cast member we're going to talk about is the biggest movie star in the film. That's Harrison Ford as old scoundrel Han Solo. At the start of the film, he's frozen in carbonite, and then he's definitely there for the rest of the film. He Mm -hmm. leads the rebel troops on Endor and ends up bagging a princess. So how's Han in this one, Westy? And Harrison Ford playing him? He's just taking a backseat, isn't he? He's just having a good time. He's got no responsibility whatsoever. It's like babysitting with somebody else and they're responsible for the kids and you're like oh, I'll just I'll just eat all the crisps and I'll just I'll get, I'll, I'll get the pizza in I'll, I'll fine as long as you're satisfied with it he's having a great time he's having a great time with the action sequences he's, you know he's, he's Indiana Jones by this point he's just yeah. done Raiders in 1981 yeah. he does seem bored in some of the scenes like when they're doing the yeah. Endor briefing of like what we're going to do to get an Endor and he's just sitting there going oh for fuck's sake I know I look great <laughs> but I could be doing something better than this right now. You know, his, his outfits are class, but there's a fine line between like having a great time and and, and being bored. Yeah. You know, that's just when they go to the to the, the satellite bit in, in Endor, and he just does that whole like shrugs the shoulders and looks around. Yeah, it, basically, this film is him choosing to fly the shuttle instead of the Millennium Falcon. That's what he wants to do. <laughs> but he is great in it. He's really charismatic as usual. Yeah, he's yeah. just really magnetic to watch. He could just, like I say, he could look bored on screen and still be entertaining. So I think it really works for him at this point. Hey, it's me. That bit's good. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's all he needs to say. Hey, look, it's me. I'm here. I'm Harrison Ford. I'm fucking massive. End of story. Yeah, I mean, the same with Leia, if not more so. Han's story is well and truly done by this point. Massively. You expect him to be dead? Yeah, exactly. He's there to be rescued at the start, then lead the rebels on Endor and be involved in a few action scenes and crack a few jokes. He cracks a lot of jokes in Empire as well. The problem is that here, most of them aren't funny. Yeah. It's not Harrison Ford's fault. No, it's They're not. just poorly judged. He doesn't care either, though. No. no, I don't think he does. But I mean, like on our Empire podcast, I talked about how the humour never undermines the narrative. Mm. That isn't the case here, I no, don't think. Yeah. Like in the meeting scene where Mon Mothma's briefing the rebels, many Bothans died to bring us this information. That bit. After she's finished, Han, in front of everyone, says to Lando, good luck, you're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. They might all die, Han. Yeah. That's not appropriate. Yeah, it's not not funny. <laughs> and I mean, it's well documented how Harrison Ford was done with Star Wars by this point. And based on what he does in the film, they might as well have left him frozen in carbonite. Had Leanne Chewie drag him around, like Weekend of Bernie's or something. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. But like you say, Westy, it is still Harrison Ford. It's still Han Solo. He still wears some great threads, and he's still cool. But to round things off, I think it's enough. 
in this film. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's pretty well known that Ford was sick to the back teeth of Star Wars and wanted to kill Han Solo off. But Loris Candon agreed with him and said, like, we're going to kill him off. We're going to kill him off at Jabba's Palace so the audience know, like, would be sure... I wouldn't be sure, actually, who was going to die or who was going to live. Or we'll make it that kind of trajectory. And he's just like, oh, well, OK, we'll see. But uh, it, it never worked out that way. But if Harrison Ford had died at Jabba's Palace, I don't know if this would have been as good at all. I don't, it doesn't, wouldn't have worked. Not in the no. film they've made. The film they've made, it wouldn't have worked. Not at all. But yeah, on that, Lucas overruled both Kazdan and Harrison Ford and said that Han had to live. And Ford later said that George didn't see a future in dead Han Solo toys. Of course he didn't. You need the Endo outfit. You need the fucking yeah, exactly. outfit. Exactly. <laughs> you know, different weapons. The frozen in carbonite thing. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody else when they were a kid always used to put Han Solo in the freezer in a glass of water so it was like he was frozen in carbonite? No. <laughs> but I wish I had him. That would have, no. Yes, that would have been fucking great. I didn't think of that. But I also thought that when I first saw it, it was like, Jabba's fridge because you know you can get it as a fridge now like you a fridge sticker yeah, 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 yeah. oh yeah I want one I really want one <laughs> but I was like I thought that was his fridge <laughs> yeah much more like housing board for me I'm afraid like <laughs> <laughs> why didn't I think of that I'm so glad neither of you two got in there first with that I think I was worth the wait that was brilliant <laughs> well done mate oh thank you I mean look thing is he's never been the best Throughout his career, he had hiding his displeasure when the script's not up to stuff or he's not having a great time like he did on Blade Runner. And you can tell he's not really engaged in this nonsense anymore. And I think the script lets him down a bit. Like, for me, Han is at his best when he's the reluctant hero, you know, when he doesn't want to stick around in Star Wars but still comes back. Spending most of Empire on the run, showing how much of his personality is bravado and getting away with things by the skin of his teeth until he just runs out of luck. I think... Yeah. Making him a general, he's just not as interesting anymore. He's not as interesting when he volunteers mm. to save the day. He's yeah. not as interesting when he's all lovesick around Leia instead of bickering with her because that's really funny and feisty and this is just a bit... Uh. Yeah. And it, it's like what you said, John, just all these like lame one-liners and snarky behaviour. It's just a bit... Uh. Like it is, It's always great to see him, of course it is, but just for me, for someone who's such a highlight in the first two, it's just a real disappointment to what he's like reduced to doing here, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, the bit when he wakes up from Carp Night, I think I could do that. I can't see. Uh, 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 uh. You'll have hibernation sickness. Uh, 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 uh. You know that bit when Temple of Doom, when he gets poisoned, it's yeah. exactly the same. It is, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what was Ford's reaction when he read the bit where, right, this is what you do. You've got to run behind the stormtrooper, tap on the shoulder, then hide around the corner, and that's how you get him. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> I think they just did that like as a mm. as a test, and they were like, uh, Marcon was like, "Right, Lucas is coming down in twenty minutes. Let's yeah. just fucking cut and print that, yeah. and let's not because what, yeah. what would happen is he'd slide underneath his legs, do yeah. a backflip, flip exactly. him over in CGI." Yeah. Well, there is a wider cast in the film. David Prowse and James Earl Jones as Vader, Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan, Billy D. Williams as Lando, Kenny Baker as R2, Anthony Daniels as 3PO, and Peter Mayhew as Chewie all return. And we'll talk a bit more about Ian McDermott as the Emperor later. But in our main three, going through the motions a bit, maybe, yeah. but their work was already done by this point, I think. Yeah, they've got yeah. like credit in the bank, haven't they? This episode of All The Right Movies is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. 
Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now, you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customised online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And, special offer to all the Right Movies listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash A-T-R-M. That's betterhelp.com slash A-T-R-M. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The Middle We're into the second act of the film now, and we're swapping Tatooine for Endor. We've seen the passing of Yoda, and we're shortly going to be talking about the natives of Endor, the legendary Ewoks. First, though, it's another set piece. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. So having arrived on Endor to take down the Empire shield generator protecting the Death Star, the gang come up against some scout troopers. Mm. One of them takes off, pursued by Leia, and we get a high-velocity speeder bike chase through the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's this one go for you, Matt? It's the absolute highlight of the film for me, by far and away yeah. my favourite nice. thing. Nice. Is this and the best toy ever. The best oh, toy Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> well, I've seen this. This is why you're saying, I mean, this is a total compliment. It's how much of a video game this sequence feels like. Nice. You yeah. just want, first thing you do when you've seen this film, you want to go out and you want to play that video game this level. Because yeah. you think, oh, God, if they could do a virtual reality version of this, that would just be incredible. I would never be off it. Because... I'd have a panic attack. Do you see how fast that is? <laughs> that is fast. <laughs> Trees at left, right, and centre. No, yeah, amazing. I mean, ignore the back projection. You know, no point being critical of like a slightly dodgy effect from forty years ago. You know, what what could it do? What it does so well is it captures the essence of speed, which the whole trilogy does so well. I think I mentioned when Mm -hmm. we did Star Wars before that film, space travel was always seen as being really slow because they Mm -hmm. didn't know how to do speed. Star Wars like broke new ground there, and that's what they give with these speeders. In the, in the forest in this sequence you know ducking around trees going over trees going under fell trees that's amazing having to fend off stormtroopers at the same time like say it's just tailor made the aesthetic for the video game experience like my son he's got the the Skywalker Saga Lego game on Switch oh yeah yeah I played that yeah well my son's played that I haven't played it I'm fine well I mean after like two hours like, right give it to me I'm, I'm, I want to play the speeder sequence and then you can have <laughs> it back good, like, yeah, I yeah. wanted like yank it out of his hands but the one bit that gets me every time is like when they start bashing into each other to try and knock each other off the bikes because again yeah total video game experience like I remember when I was a kid I had Road Rash on the Mega Drive which oh nice for those who don't remember it it was a bike racing game and one of the best things about it was you could pull up alongside the other riders and barge them off that's what this is like this it's a perfect action sequence just brilliant yeah, speaking of video games, I'm going to show my age because I had the game of Return of the Jedi on my Commodore 64 wow. when I was a kid, yeah. and it was awesome. Yeah. Do you remember Paperboy? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Too, yeah. It was a bit like that, but on a speeder bike. Right, so, yeah. 
absolutely awesome. But these speeder bikes, the ones in the film, they are excellent. Yeah. I like how it's Leia who jumps on the bike and goes after them. Yeah. The bit where Luke takes on the last one with the lightsaber, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But I think the design work is just fantastic. Firstly, the scout troopers who ride the speeder bikes, how great do they look? They look cool yeah. as fuck. Yeah. Like, oh, can stormtroopers yeah. look any better? Yeah. Uh, yes. Hold me pint. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they look unbelievable. Yeah. The speeder bikes themselves are a brilliant piece of design. They were done by Ralph McQuarrie, of course. And also have to mention one of the unsung heroes of Star Wars here in the sound design legend, Ben Burt. Yes. Because the sound of the speeder oh, bikes as they fly by the cameras yeah. is just so great. Yeah. yeah. I know that he spliced together the sound of thunder and P-38 aeroplanes to create the sound of the speeder bikes wow. engine. And it sounds excellent. I want a speeder bike. Always have and yeah. always will. Imagine turning up at work on one of those. Yeah. <laughs> one thing, you're an absolute wanker. <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'd be fine with it. Yeah, yeah I would. At least it's proof. <laughs> so, yeah, it is a great action sequence, like you said, Matt. It's put together really well, to be mm-hmm. fair. And the yeah. design work across the board, just exceptional. Yeah. I mean, the way it was put together as well, like, and it was shot in Redwoods Forest in California. And the ILM was trying to figure out how we're going to put all this together and how it was going to work. And the work together with, like, the, 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 the physical crew and like how can we do this and they ended up getting a steady cam which is obviously seen on the shining about two mm. two years before this and it's like well we're just going to walk through the forest of redwood in the shot of the one frame a second which in the industry is called under cranking so right. you under under crank the camera and you're just basically shooting one frame as you go and you've got to keep it as still as possible which then turns into like it's like five miles an hour that turns into a hundred miles an hour at 24 frames a second right right so that's how fast the speed up bikes are going, basically. So they're going like 100 miles an hour. Right, right. Okay. So that's how fast you're saying it. So it's absolutely ridiculous. And even like little bits when Luke's like, you stay on that one, I'll take these two, and hits the brakes and goes behind them. I'm like, that's yeah. Top Gun? That yeah, is just, right. I'll hit it the is. brakes, he'll fly right by. And he's just, yeah. and the way he, f- yeah. he disappears from the frame and flies back is completely believable. <laughs> but to have that in your, in your cannon where you're like, I'm just going to walk five miles and you hope for a fact because you're shooting film at this point you're not shooting digital you cannot look back and go oh this is going to work and it looks incredible i think if you watch the back projection of that like it's just the way that moves but then again it's like what does luke do just jumps under the other one (laughs) and jumps from so that's all jedis can do is jump (laughs) have you ever been in anything that's traveled 100 miles an hour i don't know if i have maybe a roller coaster at some point but i'm like i don't want to jump off it at that point (laughs) and it's just it's great but again it's just it's the sequence you remember and as i've said it's the best toy when you press that bit at the back and it all explodes oh brilliant forget about it it was a brilliant toy forget about it I think it's one of the few moments in the film where Returning the Jedi probably hits the levels of the first two films. Yeah. That's Mark One's like stamp on this and ILM's real stamp on this is that they take everything and they just like push it to 11. Does the plot make sense? No. Do you care? No. Is there any story? No. Is it exciting? Yes. That's all you want. So another big action sequence and the speeder bikes. Someone needs to make them for real, surely. Not for me. I mean, I'd, I'd like to have one and look at it, but I would never ride it, not in a million years. <laughs> Following on from the speeder bike chase, the crew becomes separated, and after Chewie proves he's always thinking with his stomach, they're captured by some furry little creatures, the Ewoks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In these scenes, we meet Wicket, visit the Ewok village, and see Luke flexing his Jedi muscles again. Show off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So how is this for you, Westy? A lot of controversy with Ewoks. Yeah. I don't yep. understand why, really. Mm. I think they're pretty cool. 
the Empire again has entered this planet and is t- trying to take the piss. And these little furry bear creatures are, are giving them six now, and I love it. But I just love the fact that <laughs> just what they're influenced by. They're just like and Lucas was. It has been quoted to say they're influenced by the Viet Cong from Vietnam, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I mean is is kind of cool, but like yeah. a bit ludicrous at the same time. <laughs> like you could have a bit offensive, a bit offensive, <laughs> really offensive. <laughs> but when this when they start kicking ass, you kind of like yeah, well I, I see that using the terrain and they've got inferior weapons against this stronger and more equipped army that are coming in and they, but this isn't the place to make that kind of statement this isn't no this isn't the film to make this kind of you know rebel revelation about this is what it was like in vietnam i don't really think it was maybe one of them dies and he goes oh and rolls over and yeah. that's about it and they also put people over fires and i think they're going to eat people so that makes oh, them terrifying. And, you know, I think they're golden droids like some kind of god. So it, it harks back to all this kind of indigenous and the spiritual kind of vibe that they've got and they're playing drums at the end. And this is like strange, really strange collection of things. But I do like the Ewoks. I do think they are good. And I do like it when they start kicking some ass because they are badass. Yeah, at the end when they're playing the drums, they're playing drums on like stormtroopers' helmets and stuff, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. Amazing, <laughs> absolute savages. You've definitely eaten those stormtroopers. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> they've eaten clones. They eat people. They just kind of go, "Oh well, fuck it." That ah! yeah. it's just yeah, it's 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 again, it really fits the tone. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the Ewoks have came in for a lot of stick over the years, mm. ruined this film for some people. Second only to Jar Jar Binks in the worst Star Wars characters list for some. Yeah, I would rather Ewoks than Gungans, if I'm completely honest. Oh, I definitely would. Yeah. I like some aspects of them, the Ewoks, and not others. I think, first off, the Ewok village up in the trees is really good. Good production design. Yeah. The Ewoks themselves look good. Really good costume design. I think they sound good when they talk. Mm-hmm. I know that the language was inspired by like a Russian Buddhist language called Kamlik. You knew that, though, obviously. Christ, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I speak <laughs> fluent Russian Kamlik. <laughs> The problem for me isn't the Ewoks as an idea or a creation. It's how they're used and why they're in the film. I'll talk about how they were used a bit later, but now, why they're in there. It's been said by people like Gary Kurtz, the producer from the first two films, that Lucas got them in there because he saw them as a good toy opportunity. Yeah. I mean, they even look like teddy bears, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And letting what toys will sell dictate creative decisions is obviously a major problem from a storytelling point of view. Yeah. I'll talk a bit more about that later on. Like I say, I do like the Ewoks. They're funny. Like when 3PO says to Han, I'm rather embarrassed, sir. It appears you are to be the main course in the banquet in my honour. That's funny. <laughs> Terrifying. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it is, yeah. yeah. But with merchandising potential seeming to influence the creativity, they do also indicate the wheels starting to fall off the Star Wars bus, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, not that I can talk. I had about four Ewoks as action figures when <laughs> yeah, I was a so kid. I was part of the problem. <laughs> Yeah, how much caravan of courage, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt? Yep. <laughs> no, right, no. Yep. Yeah, we'll yep. fucking go. <laughs> Sorry. You know that episode of The Simpsons where Ralph is in love with Lisa, but Lisa yells at him and Bart says, yep. if you look closely, you can actually pinpoint the exact moment his heart <laughs> breaks in two. I choo-choo choose you that whole moment, yep. Well, that scene where 3PO is reenacting the previous two films for the Ewoks, I think if you look closely, you can actually pinpoint <laughs> the exact moment Harrison Ford's life flashes before his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's, how have I ended up here? 
Like, <laughs> in general, everything with the Ewoks, I find this middle section a bit of a slog to get to, and it really drags here because... Mm, it does, yeah. Wasting time on a recap to the previous two films. Ford palpably dying inside, <laughs> sitting there thinking... I had so many great lines in Empire. I got to do so much great stuff in yeah. Star Wars, and <laughs> he has to react to a teddy bear curling up against his leg. Like the expression on Ford's <laughs> face is a picture, just absolute disgust at yeah. what he has you to can do. See, like Ford looking off camera, and Lucas just holds up a sign that just says, "You are Indiana Jones. Deal with it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave you Indiana Jones. I've got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Ford, I think he, he speaks a, a lot for me during the scene. And, and three pure actual recordings of all the sound effects ready to go, which is impressive, but also why? Why does he have a recording of Vader's breathing? <laughs> well, he's an interpreter, <laughs> isn't he? Well, I know, but still. <laughs> and ti- the sound of TIE fighters, where the fuck's he get that from? He's floating <laughs> exactly. around in outer space just recording them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such a bizarre scene. And, you know, the Ewoks themselves, yeah, they're enjoying themselves. That's great. But, yeah, uh, just a, a very, very poor Star Wars scene for me to sit through this one. Yeah. Yeah, it does drag you right. Mm-hmm. But the Ewoks, they were based on, or rather inspired by, real life. You mm-hmm. know anything about that? Well, I did mention the Viet Cong. I was going into that. No. Fuck me, where's this going then? <laughs> <laughs> So the name Ewok came from a Native American tribe called the Miwok. Right. Right. It's not an anagram of Wookiee, like some people think that it is. Oh, okay. The Miwok were indigenous to Northern California, which is where the Endor scenes were filmed. And Endor was in the Bible. The Witch of Endor was used by King Saul to channel a dead prophet and defeat the Philistines. <laughs> wow. Right. You knew that, though. Obviously. Yeah, the wrong <laughs> film to put this in. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, so the place in California where it was filmed was Crescent City, and the actors hated it because obviously they're wearing these hot, heavy suits. California's really hot anyway. And there was a production assistant called Ian Bryce, and he turned up one day, and he'd been left an order. The note said, Ewoks, they've had enough, all the actors have quit, and they're going to the airport to basically like, get home. So he raced over there, couldn't <laughs> see any of them, was really panicking was about to leave to try and explain it somehow to Lucas and a bus turned up with all the Ewok actors on just like pointing and laughing at him it was all just a big wind up that's awful that <laughs> no, everyone's like, leaving the set yeah, and then yeah. you panic and I can't see anyone just look down yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah when they got off the bus apparently they were all wearing t-shirts that said revenge of the Ewoks <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. that sounds like a horror film it does <laughs> the Ewoks horror beyond imagination yeah. I would love that <laughs> I think everyone knows Warwick Davis was most famous for playing Wicket. Mm. And he auditioned for the film after his grandmother heard a casting call advert on the radio. Kenny Baker, who plays Ardu was supposed to play Wicket. But on the day that were due to film the scenes, Baker had food poisoning, which seems like a, a common theme in like Lucas and Spielberg's yeah. mm, you know, yeah. back catalogue. Fuck the eating out there. Just, just have some <laughs> spaghetti hoops. So they got Warwick Davis to play Wicket. And Kenny Baker is actually in... Return of the Jedi plays Paplu, who's the Ewok who pinches the speeder bike. And for oh, yeah. me, that's one of the best performances when he's just taking the piss. He's just like, ha, ha, ha. And then when it speeds off and his legs are hanging off it. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I think that's a great performance. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm so pleased that Davis is in there and that, yeah, I'm so pleased he got to play Paplu, which is great. Anthony Daniels, the prime suspect for that poisoning, surely. Yeah. Oh, of course he is. <laughs> Hates Yeah. Hates everyone. He does. <laughs> And I mean, Warwick Davis went on to build a great career on the back mm-hmm. of Jedi, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. He was in the Harry Potter films, Narnia films, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Willow, Willow yeah. obviously. And... Horse of Tenable. Leprechaun. 
Yep. Leprechaun 2, Leprechaun 3, and Leprechaun 4 in space. Classics. Wow. I've never seen Leprechaun 4 in space. And I'm pretending <laughs> if I've even seen any Leprechaun films. Let's be honest. Luke has. That's a face he has. Oh, yeah, he loves them. And Warwick Davis did reprise the role of Wicked a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You know where? Caravan of Courage. He was in Caravan of Courage and Ewoks the Battle for Endor. Oh, yeah. Also a classic. Okay. Yeah. Not Life's Too Short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> the original idea, though, for Endor was it was going to be the planet of the Wookiees. It wasn't going to be the Ewoks planet. And it was going mm. to be the Wookiees who had joined up with the Rebels to defeat the Empire. But Lucas obviously just saw more profitability in Ewok merchandise. So, you know, that was more important than a better story, yeah. obviously. Well, the Wookiees would have made the Empire look a bit less shit, I think, yes. anyway. Yeah. yeah. But on the back of that, we have another question from Patreon. Okay. So, Biggie, no relation to Biggie Smalls, as far as I know. Of course not. But I can't say that for certain, to be honest. So, (laughs) Biggie's asked us, if you could change the Ewoks, which creatures from the series would you replace them with? Oof. Westy. You see, I've I've thought long and hard. This has been the hardest part of my week. (laughs) For me, Jawas. I think it would have been great to have the Jawas in there, just come from nowhere, but wearing camouflage instead of the brown. <laughs> I think Not... they would have been fucking like badass, just like shooting down the the, the ATSTs and just be, like, yeah. disabling them because they know like the the ways th- around them. Or maybe uh, maybe four or five hidden Jedi that you don't know about, and they've mm. come out of hiding. But at the same time, in answer to the question, I don't think I would replace them with anything. Yeah. Okay. If if you could replace them, would you replace? No, I wouldn't. If I could, it'd be like it would be Jawas. It'd be something similar. It'd be small, and, and you know, like they have to prove themselves. Well, the only Star Wars film that I like much outside of the original trilogy, apart from Caravan of Courage, obviously, <laughs> obviously, obviously. is Rogue One. Yeah, right. and I like what they do with the rebels. There, they bring in Saw Gerrera and his sort of rebel extremist faction, who yeah. are kind of at odds with the Rebel Alliance in terms of methods and values. That's a great bit of world building, mm-hmm. and that would have worked great here, where like Leia has to maybe negotiate with the extremists to get them all working together to defeat yeah. the Empire. They are different creatures, though. So if that's what we're talking. Mm-hmm. The Gungans, maybe. Oh, fuck young, off, man. Young Jar Jar in there larking about. <laughs> the Gungans. <laughs> the younglings. Younglings, yeah. The ones that were killed by Vader and come back as force ghosts. <laughs> like Return of the King off Imagine. the ship. <laughs> Just little kids fucking furious. Yeah, I mean, that would have been mental. Which would, would have been amazing. <laughs> but the fact that they can't even use the force in this film and he has to throw a rock, I think that's miles beyond what yeah. they were thinking at this point. Well, first thought is, I don't understand why it's not the Bothans, who already get mentioned as lords of them haven't died to get the information. So yeah. shouldn't they have been the ones near the thing they got the information about? That would make yeah. more sense to me. But honestly, uh, I think Lucas had a right first time. It should have been the Wookiees, because that would have given Chewie mm. much more to do. Yeah. Then he had to convince them to yeah, join exactly. in. Yeah, it would have been fucking great. It's great way, that's better, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to talk about this later, but there could have been this great arc where Han is killed, Chewie is bereft and doesn't know what to do anymore until he finds his people have been enslaved and he leads them to freedom against the Empire and becomes their new Ooh. leader. Boom. That would have been great. And also, we could have had scenes where it's two Wookiees talking to each other with subtitles. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, man. Return of the Wookiees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there for that. Definitely. Fucking brilliant. 
Knights or the Middle of Jedi provides the images that are possibly most synonymous with the film, the greenery of Endor, and in the speeder bikes and the Ewoks, two unforgettable sequences. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Different reasons, maybe. Well, yeah. The Crew Return of the Jedi was a huge production to close the trilogy, so the crew was a big one, and we're going to talk about them a bit more now. John Williams as the composer, Alan Hume as the DP, and ILM as the effects house are all coming, but finally, we've got some George Lucas on the menu. Here we go. (laughs) So, Return of the Jedi was written by George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan, Mm. the same team that collaborated on Empire with superb results. Mm. How'd it go here, Matt? Not quite as well. Um, <laughs> very diplomatic that oh, yeah, yeah, trying, you know, I'm a diplomatic droid um, I feel very much the same about the writing as I do the directing which is it's all very safe it's all a reaction and a pushback to Empire so this one's not going to scare anyone there'll be no cliffhanger everything's going to get wrapped up with the bone top very neatly and on one hand that's great you obviously don't want things unresolved but it's all smoothed down like this film doesn't have the peril of Star Wars, it doesn't have the darkness of Empire, and it's all a bit too neat and a lot of retroactive explaining going on. You know, we've kind of talked about it already, but Obi Wan turning up and saying that when he told Luke Darth Vader had killed his father, what he said was true from a certain point of view. Absolute yeah. bullshit, that mate. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that doesn't make a bit of sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. No. <laughs> Leah turning out to be Luke's twin sister, no planning at all that that was going to be a big revelation in this one, so no. that doesn't fit. And I mean, and that sequence in particular, that conversation in the forest, really poor dialogue. That's Lucas mm. all over that scene. Yeah. Oh, really cringy. And the writing, it, it's 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 about making people feel comfortable with this one. So everybody loved the Death Sauce, we'll bring the Death Star back. Everybody thought the lightsaber duel between Luke and Vader was great in the last one, so we'll have them do that again. And it's tying everything up really quickly, really neatly, hoping you don't pay too much attention to it, but... Once you do, I think a lot of it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. And because everything feels so torn down from Empire, for me, it's the real lack of true peril in this film. Everything feels accomplished a little bit too easily for Mm. the Rebels. And that's what drags the film down for me, I think. We're going to talk about it more, but this is the point where I say someone, maybe not Han, but someone should have been killed off at Mm. some point to really amp up the peril. Because I think that's what's missing from the writing. 3PO, surely. Oh, 3PO, (laughs) surely. I think the narrative writing is done to a level beyond probably the majority of blockbusters. But the problem is, this is following Star Wars and Empire, where the storytelling is superb, inspired Mm -hmm. even, in Empire. And Jedi is basic in comparison. Mm -hmm. I think there's three things Lucas and Kazdan knew they had to do. With Empire ending on a cliffhanger, they had to resolve that plot thread with Han. They need to have the Rebel Alliance defeat the Empire once and for all. And they need to complete the journey of Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And they do all those things. Everything is all tied up really nicely. But maybe aside from the climax, which we'll talk about, I don't think any of the writing here is particularly excellent. Mm. Firstly, the space battle. We'll talk about its great point shortly. But from a writing point of view, they've got another Death Star. It's much bigger than the first. And we've got to blow it up again. I mean, Lucas Creative Well is definitely starting to dry up by this point, I think. What I'd like to have seen was, we start at Jabba's Palace. The gang go to rescue Han. Vader wants Luke, we know that. So he's got men planted in Jabba's too. I mean, it doesn't make sense that he doesn't have that in the film because he knows where Boba Fett's taken Han. But yeah. Luke turns up, then the Empire, who knows there, turn up. Then there's a massive three-way fight between Jabba's guys, the Empire, and the Rebels. Luke gives himself up to save the Rebels, and then Han and Leia escape, and Luke goes off with Vader. 
And then the other plot is the Rebels go off to the main Empire HQ, which they're going to do for one huge final battle. So no Death Star. You could set it on the main Empire planet. And meanwhile, Vader and the Empire, and Luke, you have that whole sequence, but I would have it where they turn Luke to the dark side, and he's a total badass. And then we find out Leia's the final Skywalker. They try to turn her too, but you mentioned this before, Westy. Instead, Mm. she saves the day and turns Luke and Vader back to the good side. And then you have the ending where Vader sacrifices himself to kill the Emperor Mm. and save his two children. I think that's much more powerful. <laughs> I'd love to do work <laughs> on that. Myself. But <laughs> fucking hell, that was brilliant. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you've yeah, rewritten yeah. Return of the Jedi. I told you I'd rewritten the script. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. But instead we do get something which it does work, but mm. it definitely has a feeling that Lucas has done. All they're doing is tying stuff up. And the narrative works and I like it, but they're setting themselves at a very high bar from mm. the previous film. And this is a missed opportunity as well, I think, on the whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you look at this from a writing point of view, you've got to look at George Lucas and you've got to look at, at, at Kazdan. And Kazdan, I think, wanted to take it different places. He wanted to mm. take it to a darker place. But at this point, with the success that this is and the money that this is making and how much of a risk that would be for this to be a failure, it's not even worth contemplating. Yeah. Mm. So Lucas has to go, let's keep it safe. Everyone loved mm. the Death Star. Everyone loved these characters. Everyone loved this kind of set piece. Let's keep this in there. Let's keep it. Let's keep it fresh. Let's keep it, you know, fun. And that's what he had to do. And, and we slag Lucas off left, right, and centre. But well, one of us does. Well, yeah. He <laughs> but uh, this is my redemption. All right, like Vader. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll take my mask off and I'll die at the end of it. But he's, <laughs> he has to do it, doesn't he? He has to. He has to play it safe. It's 1983. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the Star Wars saga. He doesn't want. He really want to do anything else with it. So he wants to end it as safe as he started it. So I think that's what they had to do. And I think Kazdan did have some ideas where he was like, you know, we need to get a bit of a punch in this, and we need we need to hit it hard, and we need to do. It. And Lucas was like, no, we need this to make money we need this to entertain people and we need this to make a a, a family film where we're not going to address these things and i think there was a lot of restrictions put on because of how successful the franchise was let's not forget this was billions and billions of dollars you cannot just be like oh well i'm just going to kill han solo you just Mm. couldn't do it at this point not in 1983 you don't get that flexibility I think the film they've made, the tone of this film, Han Solo dying just wouldn't work in this film. Mm. Not at all. I think the, the tone that they made was perfect for what they needed for three because you've got what you need in Empire. You do get that payoff. You do get that sad kind of, oh, what if Star Wars was dark? Mm. And Kirshner brought that. Mm. Yeah. So they couldn't do that again. It needed to come back up. And we're like, it was one of my favourite films as a six-year-old. That was his plan and that's what he did and it worked. Yeah, I do agree with you. I mean, they pulled off a minor Hollywood miracle with both the first two films, I think. Yeah. And this point, they're just bringing it home. Exactly. Especially if you're making a franchise that's worth billions of dollars. You're not going to go, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill Han Solo while he's like looking at Leia and she gets her head blown off. and he Because that's what I would love to do from a narrative <laughs> point of view. Like what he's looking at her and she's like, I love you. And he's like, I know. Bang, and he gets his head blown off by some scout trooper on Endor. That would be incredible. All right, Cronenberg. Yeah, exactly. But that's not going to happen, is it? You need to just you no. need to bring it home, and they brought it home. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and I don't think this is news to anyone. We all know this, surely. But it was originally called Revenge of the Jedi. Yeah, and you can't see original posters with that title. But Lucas yeah. changed it because he thought gaining revenge wasn't a trade the Jedi would have. That was something Kazan disagreed with. Uh, thought it was a weak title, but obviously he lost that argument. Well, you can see he's not even prepared to say it's a negative title. 
Revenge yeah. is not that negative, but he's mm. not even prepared to go down that road at yeah. all. Yeah, that also had a knock-on effect elsewhere because the second Star Trek film was also in production at the time. Here we go. It was going to be called Star <laughs> Trek II The Revenge of Khan, but when they heard about Revenge of the Jedi, it was changed to Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Oh, okay. But I think Return of the Jedi and The Wrath of Khan are both better than using Revenge. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wrath of Khan's yeah. definitely a better title. Yeah, definitely. Lucas was really concerned about leaks as well from the scripts, especially what happened with Empire. So he made some fake scripts for the cast members. They didn't trust as much. I would love to know who they were. <laughs> Probably everyone. Uh, some of the fake scripts did end up leaking to the press. There was one where the last hope Yoda talks about an empire turned out to be not Leia, but Lando. Like, that would have been ridiculous. <laughs> right. Well, look at Lando, twins. Look at Lando. Tw- <laughs> <laughs> that would be like, uh, someone's not thought this through. <laughs> Frolicking in the sea. <laughs> Also, that plot leak, definitely David Prowse. Of course it was. He's an absolute liability. <laughs> liability. But wouldn't you be, if you'd made a film that you're like, I was in that, were you? Which one were you? Yeah. The guy behind the mask? <laughs> were you? Fuck, man, shut up, man. No, I, would, I definitely was. Can't see me, can't hear me, but it's definitely me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that points to it being you is false. <laughs> The script did go through some changes too. I mentioned earlier that the first idea was for the final battle to take place on the Imperial homeworld. That would have been called Had Abaddon. And yep. Ralph McQuarrie even did some design concepts, but it was scrapped for a bigger Death Star I'd imagine to save on costs. Also, originally, the plan was that Obi-Wan would return from being a Force ghost and come back to life. That would have been rubbish. Like that. <laughs> Especially if it was Guinness. He couldn't be asked for the first one. No. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they probably scrapped yeah. that idea when Alec Guinness thought, I'll just be on set for more than one hour. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll earn more money than anyone else. Yeah, good enough. So the writing on Jedi then, a definite drop-off in quality from the first two films, but it was a very high bar. Pandering to the toy market too much, maybe, mm. but there are some good moments as well. There's some nice moments in there, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was pandering to a toy market. I think it was just pandering to the market in 1983. <laughs> Moving on to the music now, and the score here was composed, of course, by John Williams. Mm -hmm. Returning from the first two films, this included rearranging his own compositions, as well as contributing a new piece or two. Mm. How good is it this time round, the music on Return of the Jedi? Matt? Well, you can never go wrong with John Williams. I mean, anything he works on, he'll bring something to in in Star Wars or otherwise, but his sound is so pivotal to what Star Wars should feel like. Yeah. But I think by the time you get Return of the Jedi, the thing is, he's already done the work. Like, everything Mm. you need, the opening fanfare, the Force theme, the folk music from Star Wars, then Empire will add in the Imperial March, the love theme for Han and Leia. It's it's all Mm. there from. So really, and obviously you just do some new stuff for this, but... It doesn't stand out but just because the back catalogue is so ridiculously good that he can mm. rely on. So, you know, all things being relative, this is one of his weaker efforts simply because there's not that much for him to do that's new. Like, I would genuinely yeah. say this music he does in the prequels and the sequels that I find more memorable than what he brings to Return of the Jedi. So it's not that it's not great. Of course it's great. It's just not new. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the stuff that he's bringing back is superb, obviously. Yeah. There is some new stuff in there. The Ewok music's okay, but, I mean, it's hardly the Imperial March as an addition <laughs> to the <laughs> yeah. But there are two new additions to the score that I want to mention, one which is brilliant and one which is awful. Okay. So, okay. the Empress theme, that kind of low pulsating male uh, choir that we hear yeah, in the Empress yeah, yeah. throne room...
That is awesome from Williams. Yeah. Really sets a great tone for the finale. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what isn't awesome though, okay. and that's Jedi Rocks by Cy Snoodles and the Max Rebo Band <laughs> that was added to the special edition in 1997. Yeah. That has got prequels written all over it. It's yeah, awful. Yeah. Plastic as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. That big yeah. close-up of the tongue sticking out of the mouth. Oh. Ah, yeah, yeah. You know what that music genre is called in the Star Wars universe? <laughs> Shit. It's called jizz. <laughs> <laughs> jizz music. Oh, God. Perfectly named. Can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. That'll do it. Yep. Jizz music, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel the same. It's like... You ever going to turn around and say, oh, John Williams' music on, on Return of the Jedi? I mean, even like you said, John, there, I mean, Empire's got the Imperial March, which separated it. Mm. The, the original had just got the main theme, bang, there you go. But he must have turned up to this thinking, <laughs> fucking yes, man. <laughs> I want exactly <laughs> the same money. Yeah. I want exactly the same <laughs> kind of recognition. I want my name on the titles, but I'm giving you 20%. Yeah. Yeah. of what I can do yeah. and I'll it, even like you think of like the main fight sequences or about say fight sequences but the main action sequences like the speeder sequence doesn't have anything Sawlack like, no. doesn't have anything mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. maybe like Williams came to this wanting to do more but when you watch the film what more could he do Yeah. what bits wh- where's the punches where's, where are the big spikes you know and, and then you hope when he looks out at the two moons and he's like oh, on brilliant. Tatooine and you're like right yeah. I need a theme for this yeah mm. There's nothing in Return of the Jedi where you're like, no. I need a theme for this to elevate the sequence. <laughs> like, when he looks down at Sarlacc and it's like, it's not going to happen, is it? It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't need it. So I, I think he's, he's watched the film and just went, George, I can't really do anything else. And maybe a little diddly-do and a fiddly-dee over there for like a minute. <laughs> Are they technical terms? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not <laughs> the Irish fiddle scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's great, and that's yeah. fine, and it works, because Williams paid his debts for Star Wars with just the opening theme. Yeah, so John Williams did write the score for Return of the Jedi, obviously, but this was the first time he had a collaborator on a Star Wars film. Do you know who that was? Bono. <laughs> really random where that come from should have been well it was his son Joseph Williams right so Joseph wrote the lyrics to the Ewok song we hear at the end of the film the one that people call Yub Nub would have been better if it was Bono imagine that and, oh, well definitely would have been <laughs> And Joseph Williams had a musical career of his own. I think you know what I'm talking about, Westy. I certainly do. He was the lead singer for Toto, I do believe. He was indeed. Wow. He didn't sing Africa, unfortunately, but still, crazy that. God bless the (laughs) rains down in Endor. (laughs) (laughs) For his work on Return of the Jedi, John Williams was nominated for an Oscar. Obviously. Do you know what won that year? You do well to get it. Oh, come on, Matt, this is your fucking kettle of fish. I know, but like... The music nominations from 84, bloody hell. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Come on, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, no, Dune. The, the music from Dune. Good guess, but it was Bill Conti for the right stuff. Oh, right, oh, okay. Right. Fair yeah. enough, yeah. Love yeah. the right stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's grateful. A bit like the cast, I think, 
William's work was done by this point. Most oh, he was fucking sick as a fuck. He was like, yeah, yeah, let's get me son in there to write some Ewok shit. <laughs> <laughs> Into the visuals on the film, and it's a new member of the Star Wars family to talk about. The director of photography was Alan Hume. In a career going back to the 1940s, Hume had worked on some big titles before Jedi. Yep. Great Expectations, The Land That Time Forgot, and For Your Eyes Only are three. But Hume was most well known as a DP on an iconic British comedy franchise. You know right. what it was? Faulty Towers. Towers. <laughs> well, Alan Hume was DP on no less than 15 Carry On films. Oh, yeah, oh, Carry right. On, yeah. Oh, okay. He didn't do Carry On Screaming, which is my personal favourite. Yeah. It's my favourite as well. Yeah. Well, he did Carry On Cleo, Carry On Don't Lose Your Head, Carry On Doctor, and Carry On Emmanuel, among others. I love the way we said, the we said fucking faulty towers. <laughs> oh, no. You don't even need a DP for that. <laughs> so Mark Wan did work with Alan Hume on Birth of the Beatles, so asked him to come on board for the biggest movie in the world. Yeah. How do you do as DP, Westy? I think he did really, really well, because we've got Tatooine again, and we've got Endor, and we've got space battles, and he's got to kind of balance it all out. He balances the darkness and the light very well, and I watched the theatrical cut again this week on VHS, and it looks right. brilliant. It looks really? like really good. It has to look like Star Wars, and it does look like Star Wars, and I think yeah. he absolutely delivers it. Um, and again, with all of the effects work that he's got to deal with, he's, he wasn't used to that. And he's kind of the unsung hero of making Return of the Jedi really watchable because it could have been really cartoonish, it could have been overlit. I think he's really done his homework and really nails what he needed to nail. But again, I think his hands were tied exactly yeah. the same as Mark Wan's were. He can't move the camera, he can't choose a lens, he can't really say that I think Endor should look like this because George was like, it looks like this. He said, yeah. okay, well, I'll just make it look like that then. You're talking about a billion-dollar franchise. How much can you really push and go, come on, man, I've done Octopussy. I want it to look like that. Loads <laughs> <laughs> of girls in spandex. Yeah, he's, but, I mean, he tried. He got, yeah. he got halfway there. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, but, yeah, I think he's done a really, really good job in making this look very, very consistent throughout. You know, Jabba's Palace works and Tatooine works again. Endor works and the Space Battles work and Death Star works again. And yep. uh, he's done a really, really good job. Uh, I mean, exactly the same, really. I think there's some really nice shots in here. I do love the the shot that reveals Luke at the end of like the the tunnel in the Jabba's. Yeah, when it just lifts up and there's that light pours in. Yeah, that's really like Seven Samurai type, like yeah, yeah. like Kurosawa. It's a really great shot, and I love the shot we get at the end of um, the two lightsabers across the Emperor's face. You know, that's that's great. But yeah, great. I think it's yeah. it's what Wesley says, very much like Mark Wand. He's probably just working under very strict orders here. I can't imagine there was much personal judgment or intervention from him on this work. Yeah. But what he's told to do, he does well. And he gives the, the, the film a look that Lucas obviously wanted, and it's all very nice and clean and smoothly done. That shot you mentioned there, Matt, when that door comes up, yeah. and it's a wide shot. Yeah. You don't see mm. Luke at all. No. I would love a lot more than that. I'd love another yeah. oh, definitely, five definitely, or six definitely. where he's just going, yeah. this is what it should look like. But yeah, yeah that, that shot's fucking great. It's great, yeah. Well, there was a bit of friction with Alan Hume, apparently. Hume was annoyed at what he saw as mistreatment of Richard Marquand by George Lucas. There it is. What he specifically didn't like isn't known, but Alan Hume left the production one month before it wrapped. Right. And the camera operator called Alec Mills took over. Right. Mr. Carry On Films, maybe. <laughs> Carry On Ranko. That would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so after Jedi, Alan Hume went straight into Octopussy, Supergirl, then View to a Kill. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, he wow. did. Yeah, he did Supergirl as well, didn't he? Yeah. 
through a successful career, if mm. not the most inspiring visuals I've seen in a Star Wars film. No. I don't think he was allowed to. I think no, he could have. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our final segment under the crew, and it's back to a name synonymous with Star Wars, that's Industrial Light and Magic. Mm-hmm. So ILM was set up by Lucas to provide the groundbreaking visual effects on Star Wars, they returned for Empire, and then again for Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. How was their work this time, Matt? Well, it's always great, and it's certainly no letdown or any different here. Um, mm. My favourite edition of the ATSTs on Endor, they just look amazing. Yeah, always wanted one of those when I was a kid, absolutely incredible. Um, and the spaceships in general, they're just fantastically well done. I think it's the best that the Rebel fleet has ever looked. I love everything we see there. They've really nailed how to overlay those ships now so they can be in the same scene attacking yeah. each other. Like it's chalk and cheese when you look at how they had to do it in Star Wars and it's kind of mm-hmm. different shots and it's shots reacting to each other now. They can overlay it and they can duck in between each other. Yeah. So even though it's a repeat of what we saw in Star Wars, that attack on the, the Death Star, it looks even better because flying oh, yeah. into the middle of it looks incredible. You're actually there in this one. That's it. You're actually there. You know, like I say, they can go around corners, they can go up, they can go down, they can look like they're going to overtake each other. I mean, it's pretty flawless, I would say, really, isn't it? I think so. I mean, by this point, ILM are already probably the greatest effects studio in history. And they haven't even got to Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park yet. But we talked about the speeder bikes. Innovative, inspired work that looks brilliant on the screen. Classic ILM. Lucas didn't exactly help them out here, though. There was one day during production, which has since been dubbed Black Friday, where Lucas came into the ILM studio, took 100,000 feet of visual effects footage shot by ILM, and then dumped it in the bin because he didn't like it. Wow. And they had to start again from scratch. And the heads of effects at ILM then were Dennis Murin, Ken Rolston, and Richard Edland. And yeah. they said that after Lucas did that, they went on a two-day bender before starting over again. <laughs> Fucking hell, that's a lot to dislike. How <laughs> yeah. do you dislike that much that quick? Yeah. Knows what he wants. He knows the money he wants. (laughs) (laughs) This all makes sense. Get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they really, really pull out all the stops here. Some of it, I find it quite hard to believe it was 1983, to be honest. It was, it's really, it's the speed of it. It's the pace of it. They keep the feel of the originals. But when the X-Wings duck down into the trough of the Death Star on on A New Hope, you're with it and you, you trudge down this one. Oh, there's too many of them, and you just blast through them, and there's just yeah. like tie fighters left, right, and center, mm. and you just think, how the fuck did they do that in 1983? And like Matt said, like the RSTs when they're on Endo and they're getting smashed in with the, you know, the logs from yeah. the, the Ewoks are coming in and they're doing stuff, and this is probably one of them first films that used ILM or used CGI or used that kind of that creation where the actors could rest a little bit and go, it's not on my shoulders, it's a space battle at the end, so it's yeah. up to them. That really did understand the assignment and they absolutely nailed yeah. it, I think. I think it's fantastic to watch. We've talked quite a bit about the effects work. We haven't talked that much about the quite extensive use of matte paintings in Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. Yeah. Scenes like the first time we see Vader in the film when he gets off his shuttle on the Star Destroyer yeah. in yeah, the hangar bay and there's hundreds of stormtroopers and Imperial officers around. That's all a matte painting. The background, mm-hmm. the hangar, Vader's shuttle and most of the stormtroopers. It was done by an artist called Christopher Evans. It looks brilliant that wasn't that a similar empire though the original as well they've always used matte paintings a lot yeah yeah and that's all we have on the crew a big big crew on Return of the Jedi and in people like Lawrence Kasdan John Williams and ILM some Star Wars legends working on the film absolutely made it exactly what it is without these guys it would be nothing the end
the third act of Return of the Jedi is all about conflict and resolution. The climactic showdown between Luke Vader and the Emperor is coming up, but first we're talking the final battles between the Rebel Alliance and the Galactic Empire. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Sounds intense. So the Empire have constructed a new Death Star, bigger and badder than the first, and the Rebel fleet, led by Admiral Ackbar and Lando Calrissian, head off to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Before they can attack, though, they need the Rebels on Endor, led by Han and Leia, to take down the shield generator. Mm. It's kicking off left and right. It is. How's the final battle, Matt? I think it's great. I think it's really sharply doing all the intercutting between the different bits, what's going on on Endor, what's going on in the skies above Endor. Really well done. And I do get a lot out of the Endor battle. I think for Sod, actually killing one of the Ewoks is the single ballsiest thing the film does. Like, if yeah. you're a little kid, that's devastating. Should have killed more of them, quite honestly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> genocide. <laughs> Ewok genocide. Genocide of the Ewoks, what should have been called. <laughs> We've mentioned Chewie doing the Tarzan call. That's dreadful. That should not be in there. But everything yeah. else is just so good. It's well-paced. Mention how good the effects are here. I love the POV shot you get from inside the ATSTs as it's bearing down on everyone. Yeah. And I do like, and it kind of goes back to what she was saying, like, the Ewoks get a lot of shit, but I do like once they get involved, there's like proper tactical thinking going on, you know. They've got traps prepared. They're actually quite smart and, you know, that kind of hinged double hammer kind of thing that comes in yeah. and smashes the ADSD that from the side. Cool, yeah. That's fantastic. And, yeah, you, you read a lot of criticism. Oh, it's, it's a bit crap that it's the Ewoks who hand the Empire their arse. And I get that, you know, the Empire seems so unbeatable in the first two that it, it does feel a bit of a letdown, but... You know, we've already mentioned it. You know, these creatures are on home turf. And history shows that invasions frequently fail against less advanced opponents because yeah. with advancement comes arrogance and home turf is such an advantage. So, you know, you, you watch this and you, you sit and you think, yeah, you know what? We're turning the Jedi. It probably is a big allegory of Vietnam. Yeah, it is. Whether it should be is a different question, but it is. So, yeah, I really like the sequence. Yeah, well, the Battle of Endor is the part of the film that I think gets criticised above all else. Not mm. because of its execution, but, yeah, that idea and everything yeah. we've seen across the three films, the evil mm. Galactic Empire and the end are brought to their knees by a primitive race of teddy bears yeah. pelting them with sticks and stones. Yeah. It is ridiculous. And it's a good job it's the final film because it totally kills the Empire as any sort of powerful force to yeah. be feared. Yeah. I like a couple of bits. I remember as a kid, I loved the bit where Wicket hits himself in the face with the catapult. If you yeah. remember that bit. Yeah. <laughs> And the Skywalkers are really good. You mentioned there, Matt, where the two logs smash into the side of the Skywalker. Yeah. I like the bit with the rolling logs as well, where the Skywalker's like, whoa, and he can't see <laughs> yeah, on his feet. Like Ed and I falling down the stairs and rolling <laughs> It is. <laughs> <laughs> Massive influence. But generally, I think creatively, it's over by this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what else am I supposed to say? Yeah. It it gets to that point where you're just like, right, I want to see Star Wars again. And it gets yeah. that space battle and then it fucking kicks off and it's big oh, and it's yeah. fast and it's exciting. But I wish it was Han Solo and Chewie doing it. I just, mm, I, yeah, I just yeah. can't really grasp the fact that it's Lando being this good with the Millennium Falcon. And <laughs> before that this happens... Han Solo turns to him and says, take her, honestly. No, please. What else is he going to do? What else is he going to take? <laughs> yeah. Has he got another ship lined up with the, the guy next to him who talks like that? 
blah blah what were you fucking on about man we're going down here and we're flying around and there's tie fighters bouncing off the walls of the death star we're going inside the death star which is fucking great Mm -hmm. but imagine if it was like right han solo's got to get inside the death star but he sacrifices himself at the end and like they all go to end and like leia takes over endor and then luke's got the vader battle well yeah because you would have luke doing his thing leia doing her thing and han doing his that would be be brilliant and i think that would have been really really good and you've got, I don't know, you know, this is like the genocide of the Ewoks. What's it, Schindler's Ewoks? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so unbalanced. I just think there's so many ideas being thrown into the pot here without anyone going, actually, what is the consistent theme? What are we actually trying to say? What's the way forward here? Like, literally, we've got to go here, here, here. But it does work. And I think the space battle is probably one of the best of the trilogy. The, yeah. the original mm-hmm. trilogy, definitely, because it mm-hmm. is. You've got the meteor battle in Empire, where it's kind of there. You've got the one in in New Hope, where they're trying it out for the first time, and it just mm-hmm. happens to work. This one, they know exactly what they're doing, and it goes hell for leather, and it really, really works. For me, this space battle could have been absolutely epic if it had been Han and Chewie mm-hmm. yeah. in that Millennium Falcon, finally mm-hmm. doing yeah. what they needed to do and finishing it off, and that's a trilogy. Definitely. I mean, this is the opposite of the battle on Endor in some ways. In the space battle, the idea is uninspired, a bigger Death Star, but the execution, I think, is excellent. Yeah. It's one of the great space battles ever for me. The original Star Wars, obviously, is up there, and I think Rogue One has a really good space battle yeah. as well. Yeah, 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 Rogue yeah, One's really, really good, and I like yeah. the fact that they've actually thought about it and made the Death Star's weakness somewhere that they don't think anyone can get to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you need Han Solo to find that. You yeah. don't need Lando to find it, because why yeah. is Lando on fucking Cloud City giving it six now drinking champagne? <laughs> and yeah, then exactly. all of a sudden he's the best pilot in the galaxy? It's like ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, Lando's in there, Akbar's in there, Nia Num's in there, co-pilot in the Falcon. Yeah. Just laughing at everything. Not bothered. Flying round corners, shit's exploding, and he's like, who was this guy? Yeah. Awful. Off his lips. <laughs> it's like Mick Jagger just on coke yeah. it's like Mick Jagger and Chuck Berry trying to blow up the Death Star <laughs> <laughs> on heroin you just made us love it again yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> but I mean the action is great the climax when the Falcons flying through the Death Star being chased by TIE fighters that looks brilliant today yeah easily fantastic work from ILM again I think this film's usually at its best when it's being carried by ILM. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously one of the most famous, probably even the most famous line in the film comes from Admiral Akbar here when the rebels find out they've been ambushed and he shouts, it's a trap! It was originally, it's a trick. <laughs> like that? <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that before. <laughs> Look, I could have done like it as Frank Connery. Spencer. <laughs> it's a trap! It's a trap! <laughs> and it was originally, it's a trick, in the script, but then it got changed yeah. in post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a trick, is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> like he's Paul Daniels or something, but uh, <laughs> Daniels is much more weird looking than Akbar. Of course he is. <laughs> but when they were deciding what Akbar should look like, Lucas actually let Mark Wan choose. Oh, so wow. he picked a design by a concept artist called Nilo Rhodes Chimero, which is the one that we see. Hmm. And do you know what species Akbar is? You know, I did about no. 20 years ago. <laughs> He's a Mon Calamari. Mon Calamari, yeah. Oh, yeah, Calamari. Calamari, that's subtle, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> really subtle. Yeah. Might as well have called him Captain Fish. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Haddock. Deep Cap- fried squid Captain rings. Captain Haddock would have been brilliant. <laughs> Captain Haddock. <laughs> Fish fingers. <laughs> it's a grill. 
<laughs> I mean, the briefing to the Death Star attack is delivered by Mon Mothma. She's in Rogue One, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's replicated again. And there are a few women rebel pilots that you can see in there as well. We don't see much of them in the film, but scenes were shot with them. There was a French actress called Vivian Chandler who had over a page of dialogue in the script. Oh. I mean, if Lucas had written that... <laughs> I want to fucking see it. It was filmed, but she was cut out completely. I don't know if it was Kazdan, I don't know if it was Lucas, but if Lucas had written a French female pilot for a page on the end of Return of the Jedi, I want to see that before I exit this fucking planet. Send us it, please. George, if you're listening, just email it over. I'm not going to share it. I want to know what the fuck she said. That's going to be incredible. Well, you can see the footage of the filmed online. Oh, really? Yeah, you can see. Oh, yeah, fuck, well, it doesn't matter. I can die tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a shame it was cut out. There was speculation Lucas cut it out in case audiences were uncomfortable about women being killed in battle. Or uncomfortable with his dialogue. Yeah. Well, yeah. So pilots, no chance. Sex slaves, though. Yeah, yeah not a problem. Not an issue. <laughs> wow. As we approach the end of the film and the trilogy, a big part of our story is wrapped up with the destruction of the Death Star. Only one plot thread left. The story of the Skywalkers. Mm. While Han, Leia, Lando and the rest are off saving the galaxy, Luke Skywalker is having a family emergency. Giving himself up, he defeats Vader, turns him back to the light side, and Vader then kills the Emperor. The trilogy comes down to one final lightsaber duel. How does it go, Matt? I think it goes really pretty well, and I think what really helps me is McDermott's performance, because he's just great as the Emperor. Like, you can yeah. tell this is his first Star Wars film because he's got a level of enthusiasm that no one else really has. Everyone else is like, uh, Bainey, you've done this <laughs> third time around. He's yeah. having an absolute ball. It's all new to him. He, he can chew the scenery as much as he wants and he can get away with the best performance in the film alongside Fisher. And I think you need that because one thing about Return is Vader is quite neutered as the villain. And, like, on one hand, that's fine. Because we saw at the end of Empire that he didn't want to destroy Luke, he didn't want to turn him, and he wanted to build that bond. And that's mm. a good character arc that this film follows through on. But it does mean Vader doesn't have anywhere near the level of threat that he did in the first two. So you need something to replace that, and you get that with McDermott. You've got a villain. He's a great tactical thinker, so he's, he's laid out this trap for the rebels that they've gone straight into. And even though he's a wizened old man, he can still carry a physical threat with the powers that he has. And mm -hmm. I think he's at his absolute best when he's playing Luke off against Vader, playing the mind games with the two of them, mm -hmm. trying to tempt Luke into picking up the lightsaber. Very creepily played, really great villain behaviour throughout. And yeah, it's really what the film needs because of how Vader is in this film, by necessity, to be fair. I don't really buy in the idea of if I should feel that sad for Vader, considering what he's done. But the Emperor more than makes up for anything that's lacking because of that. Yeah, of every part of Return of the Jedi, and there is plenty that I like, mm. this in the Emperor's throne room is the best bit for me. Right. It's because all the work's already been done. It's mm. wrapping up Luke's journey from the previous two films, and they do it well. The narrative's really good. Luke at first refuses to fight Vader, and the mm. thing that makes him fight is when Vader mentions Leia, and Luke goes absolutely mental. It's massive, that bit. And then Luke almost turns to the dark side but stops himself, and that's it. His arc is complete. Yeah. And Ian McDermott is the Emperor. He is excellent. Mm. I love it when Luke says, I'm a Jedi, you failed your highness. Yeah. And the Emperor goes, so be it, Jedi. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and Vader's Redemption's in there. It's not easy to pull off a total 180 character arc, but I buy it 100%. 
when he's looking between Luke and the Emperor and the inner yeah. conflict there, it's obvious. Yeah. That's fantastic, that. Yeah. Lucas did his best to mess it up with the special edition by having Vader go, no, yeah. which makes it much worse. He does yeah. every special edition of these. When he's like, when, when Han's looking at Lando and it's Sarlacc and he's like, I can see much better now. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> just, he says, trust me in the original, just leave it at yeah. that. The only nitpick here for me, when Vader dies, his final words are, tell your sister you were right. Mm. I think it would have been better if he'd asked, what's my daughter's name? Luke says Leia. And then Vader's last words are, tell Leia you were right. Uh, that yeah. would have been better, yeah. I think. Yeah. But the character work here, Luke's full transition to Jedi Knight and Vader's redemption at the same time. Mm. I mean, if blockbusters go, that's about as good as it gets from character point of view. Yeah, I do, I do really like the end of the film. It saves it, doesn't it? It saves the film. Yeah, it mm. does, because it, it, it starts ridiculous. If it had ended ridiculous, <laughs> you know, if it ended at Sarlacc, you'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does find its grounding. Even like a green and red lightsaber going at it, the same as it was in Empire. Yeah, great. I think you see it's, it's totally different. Luke's a lot more confident in his, in his, his ability. But it's this father-son relationship that I think it addresses really well. And I think Hamill does that really, really well. It's his performance, I think, where that, that convinces us as an audience, as well as it convinces Vader as a character, to be like, did I fuck yeah. up a bit here? The thing that I don't get is just dragging Darth Vader through the Death Star. Nobody does anything. <laughs> no one no cares. stormtroopers do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one gives a fuck. He's like, really dragging him through. He's like, he must weigh a ton as well. Yeah. He's like, take me mask off. He's like, well, you'll die. And takes it off and he looks, looks like Billy Joel playing a harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> She'll play a little tune. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Uptown girl. And to give Mark one some credit, I mean, the cross-cutting between the three plot threads, mm-hmm. that's brilliant. He does it that. works, yeah. And he yeah. does that in front of Menace, though. He tries to do it again. Mm. Yeah. He tries work. to go from one to the next <laughs> to the Gungans and the this and the that. And this one, he keeps everything entertaining, like I've said before, and it really, really works. Yeah, and that's surely an influence on Christopher Nolan. Loads of his films end with three plot threads cutting between them at the same time. Yeah, that's a massive statement. <laughs> John, you're talking shit. <laughs> ben Kingsley, David Suchet and Lindsay Anderson were all considered by Lucas to play the Emperor and Alan Webb was the first person cast. But he had to pull out due to ill health. Ian McDermott was then cast to just be physical performance of the Emperor, much like Prowse, and the idea being he would be dubbed over. Apparently, though, Spielberg heard McDermott's voice as the Emperor, and he's like, oh, you've got to go with him. He's absolutely perfect. And his voice is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, like, his yeah, performance, brilliant, yeah. to be fair, is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Oh, he is excellent. But always getting advice from better directors, Lucas, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah. he is. <laughs> Surprised that Palmer and Coble weren't in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> But apparently McDermott used an old Japanese acting technique he used to give your voice a guttural sound and that's where the Emperor's voice came from and he oh, does yeah. sound great. Yeah. yeah. I know though that when David Prowse read the script <laughs> he was really excited because he thought finally you're going to get me face on screen when Luke takes <laughs> his helmet off. But Lucas I think pretty quickly cut that down said no I want an older actor instead so originally he thought he was going to get like a really established name for you know a bit of oh my god it's that person like like Lawrence Olivier or John Gielgud, they were who he was thinking of, but eventually he went for Sebastian Shaw, who was, um, he was more famous for being a veteran of the RSC instead. Yeah. You know, it right. should have been Oliver Reed. <laughs> oh, imagine. That would have been amazing. <laughs> really bombastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking great. I would have loved that. Yeah. 
but always the bridesmaid, never the bride for prows. I oh, know, <laughs> bless him. It's going to be my voice. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's no. going to be my face. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and Ian McDermott and Sebastian Shaw knew each other before Star Wars, so when Shaw turned up on the set, McDermott asked him what he was doing there, and Shaw oh, yeah. said, I don't know, dear boy. I think it's something to do with science fiction. He's <laughs> like, <laughs> you're the new voice. We'll get a happy ending, but it was going to be very, very different. And Lawrence Kasdan said he pitched Lucas an idea where Luke takes Vader's mask off and Vader dies. <laughs> Luke puts the mask on, right? And in Vader's voice says, now I am Vader. <laughs> That's awful. That's <laughs> god awful. And according to Gary Kurtz, the original treatment ended with Luke going off alone and wandering into the seclusion of the Tatooine desert. It's just mumbling to himself, I am Vader, just with a mask on, just walking into the desert. I am Vader. Alone in the desert. Did you write that ending, Westy? Um, no, not like that. I would have had him with a black cloak on, wearing white, but with a black cloak, just looking at the two sons, and then it fades from there. Nice. And he's got the two lightsabers. He's got his dad's and he's got his. And he drops them in the sand and he looks at the two sons and then it just fades from there. Beautiful. Well, the ending we do get, we see Anakin, Yoda and Obi-Wan together at last. Awful. The old fellas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like when the Stone Roses got back together. Are <laughs> <laughs> the Rolling Stones now? <laughs> Yoda with a Telecaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Take the, take the high age ring off, you'll be fine. In, in the 2004 special edition, though, Lucas composited Hayden Christensen in there instead of Sebastian Shaw. And tell you what, Obi-Wan's been screwed right over there. I'd be like, hang on, how come he gets to be young and I'm still ancient? Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. The thing about that, though, Hayden Christensen said he didn't know what Lucas was up to. So, like, when he asked him to do these reshoots and said if he had known, he would have played it totally differently, which I don't get. How? How different, you've got no dialogue, look to your left, <laughs> yeah. and then look forward and smile. That's pretty much all he does. And we're at the end of Return of the Jedi, the Empire's defeated, the Emperor's gone, Vader's redeemed, and the gang are all alive and happy. Mm-hmm. Including 3PO, unfortunately. But yeah, apart from that, a satisfying resolution? Yeah, it is what it needed to be. Reception Underworlds. Unsurprisingly, Return of the Jedi was a smash hit. On a budget of $32 million, it grossed $418 million, the biggest film of the year. It was the first film ever to gross more than $20 million in its opening weekend. And from critics, there were a range of responses. Big Rog, what did he give it, do you think, Roger Ebert? Three. Two and a half. He gave it the full whack. Four stars out of four. Wow. He said, complete entertainment, a feast for the eyes, and a delight for the fancy. Inconsistent. <laughs> Ebert, he's, he's inconsistent. It's a little amazing how Lucas and his associates keep topping themselves. Yeah, and then Disney came along and made me want to top myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something along those lines, and I thought, maybe John's got a better thing. Yeah, you definitely did. <laughs> Big Roger's pal, Gene Siskel, also gave the film four stars out of four, and he said... Return of the Jedi is a childlike delight. It's the best video game around. Your words, Matt. Yeah. And for the professional moviegoers, it's particularly enjoyable to watch every facet of filmmaking at its best. Did he say professional moviegoers? What's that? Critics, I suppose. If any of you ever call yourself professional moviegoers, I'll punch <laughs> you in the fucking face. That's outrageous. Right. So it was a huge loving until old Pauline got involved, obviously. Obviously. And Pauline Kale said... 
Some of the trick effects might seem miraculous if the imagery had any luster, but Return of the Jedi is an impersonal and rather junky piece of movie making. I can see that. I mean, I can see it from both points of view, mm. but, you know. A certain point of view. A certain point of view. <laughs> of course, get away with anything with that. <laughs> to the Unrotten Tomorrow, Return of the Jedi has 83% from critics and a huge 94% from audiences. Yeah. And on IMDb, a whopper of an 8.3 out of 10. The original Star Wars trilogy is one of only two trilogies where all three films feature in the IMDb Top 100 films ever. Right. Okay. Do you know what the other one is? Godfather? I'll give you a clue. It's not one of the other Star Wars trilogies. Okay. Or Leprechaun. Uh, Back to the Future. Nope. Um, if we're talking original trilogies, the Toy Story trilogy. Nope. It is Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Oh, of course it is, man. Fuck it is. Yeah. At the Oscars, Return of the Jedi was nominated for Best Art Direction, Best Original Score, Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Sound, and ILM won a Special Achievement Award. Can't argue with much of that, I don't think. No, not no. at all. What was the Special Achievement? Creating the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Making it watchable. <laughs> so, not the acclaim or reputation of its two predecessors for Return of the Jedi, maybe, but as an enormous hit, pushing some effects boundaries and rounding mm-hmm. off probably the most significant trilogy ever made successfully. I think it's legacy sealed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Sequels and influence. Since Return of the Jedi, there have been many other Star Wars films. We haven't got all day, though. We're going to keep it to the direct sequels to Return of the Jedi. Technically, yeah. you could say that's Caravan of Courage. But we're talking about <laughs> The Force Awakens, where we see the return of Leia and Han, and The Last Jedi, the return of Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how was The Force Awakens, firstly, as a follow-up to Jedi? I really, really, really enjoyed it when I went to see it at the cinema. Mm. Because it was like one of them things where you just kind of like see an old friend again. And then I watched it again after Return of the Jedi and realised that it's quite an inferior film to Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. For me, it felt like Indiana Jones, you know, 4, whatever that is. Yeah, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's really empty and it was really hollow. Mm-hmm. And I think everything that's come since has been really hollow and has been really empty and I've loved Star Wars my whole life. Force Awakens for me is an incredible disappointment for all uh criticised George Lucas. I think he's done the right thing by letting it go and we all should because Star Wars needs to be something else and it needs a younger, vibrant audience to come in and make something completely different and everything that's come after Return of the Jedi for me has been a massive disappointment. Yeah, I said one of the issues of the writing in Return of the Jedi is that it's not as inspired as the previous two films, but it's like bloody Chaucer compared to The Force Awakens. Just yeah. resets everything back to how it was. New Rebel Alliance, new yeah. Empire, new Jedi hope on a desert planet, Han and Chewie are pirates again, new droids, new bad guy in a black suit. Not only is that objectively terrible writing, but after following them through three films, we find out our heroes' lives have been like shit for the last 30 years. Luke's Jedi Academy is a disaster. Han and Leia split up and their son becomes an evil dictator. It yeah. just kind of ruins the end of Return of the Jedi. So yeah. like, what was the point? I don't think it honours us as an audience of the original trilogy and how excited that made us as kids of, like, there's nothing like this. Well, I'm going to make some people's heads explode in anger here, but I really enjoy The Last Jedi. Wow. Wowzers. Yeah, genuinely. <laughs> I, was, I was very confused on first watch. But repeat viewing, it's really grown on me. It's not perfect, I think... You know, the stuff I don't like, there was too many jokes that didn't land, and the candle bite sequence felt like something that fell out of the prequels. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. What I liked about it was it threw, like, a lot of curveballs in terms of the narrative. So Luke's return in that's great, 
he's going to kick arse and lead everyone to victory, but no, he's riddled with doubt and self-loathing. I think that was an interesting way to sort off his character. Snoke was built up as the new big bat, but he gets taken out halfway through. That's really unexpected. I like that. And best of all, despite Abrams well and truly mucking it up in the next one, Ray's parentage, Retrofield, she comes from nowhere. She's not mm. important. I thought that was a really interesting way to take her character. And for me, the best line in the film came from Yoda, where he says, we are what we grow beyond, because that was the theme. You know, don't mythologize anyone, because it can only yeah. lead to disappointment. And that theme drives so many character motivations in that film. You know, Luke struggles to live up to the ideal of who he thinks he should be. Rey struggles for that. Kylo Ren struggles with who he thinks his father is and who he thinks his grandfather should be. And so they have that theme intertwined with the you know, with how it affects three different characters who then influence each other. I thought that was really fascinating stuff. And even if you don't like, you know, where it goes with the characters, even if you don't like the story, which I totally get, even from just a filmmaking craft point of view, I thought it was a really well-made blockbuster. Like, we've talked about the intercutting in, in this one, but at the end when it's cutting between the First Order gunning all the fleet down with Finn and Rose being captured, facing execution in the fight in the throne room, with Ray and Kylo, I thought that was really incredibly well done. So, yeah, I thought it was easily the best of the new ones, a film I really enjoyed. But suffice to say, I am never, ever going to read the comments for this episode because I know how people react to it. <laughs> Life's too short. Yeah, well, there are some good things about The Last Jedi, I think. I think mm-hmm. it genuinely explores themes around capitalism, failure, history, mythology you mentioned there, Matt. Yeah. And the relationship between Ray and Kylo Ren, I think, is really well written. The mm-hmm. best Star Wars writing since Empire, for yeah. me. The main problem with it is the tone mainly the diabolical use of comedy. Not only is there far too much of it, it's like Airplane, it's a joke every minute, but unlike Airplane, none of it is funny. Absolutely none of it. Poor Dameron cracking a your mum joke to hooks at the start. That is embarrassing. And Luke returns, and he's rubbish. The main problem was they give him an arc. Luke Skywalker doesn't need a character arc. He's already had one, a really good and famous one that we've just been talking about for two hours. He should have just been there as his great Jedi master for me. I know some people like The Last Jedi, like you, Matt. Yeah. I definitely do not. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, it is, it, it's divisive, to say the least, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's divisive, <laughs> that's fine. But back to Return of the Jedi, then. How and where do we see its influence since 1983? It does have its place, and it, it has influenced stuff that I do enjoy from the Star Wars universe, and I'm not going to completely sack off Star Wars completely, but I, kinda, I just kind of buy into it as much as I used to. I think The Mandalorian was incredible. And I think it really influenced that. I think the style and the look of it, I think it it brought it back down and, and, and give it real gravitas. But I think the likes of the bigger blockbusters that we saw, like the late 90s and the early 2000s, I mean, like Independence Day, when you mm. see that space battle in Independence Day. Oh, yeah, yeah it's yeah, Star yeah, Wars, yeah. yeah. But you, you you could say Star Wars, then you could watch A New Hope, and it's not that. It's not Empire. It is Return of the Jedi. It is, yeah. They've even got a line in there where they say there's too many of them or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. it does have a very light tone. And you lower that tone slightly, and you you know you do get the likes of Independence Day, you do get the likes of any Roland Emmerich film since then, and it's great. It's obviously a massive influence on Platoon <laughs> <laughs> and Full Metal Jacket, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and any any Vietnam film that came out since '83. Uh, I think influence. It's probably from the practical point of view. I think the special effects is how that would drive every science fiction blockbuster onwards. In terms of narrative, I don't think it's had much influence outside of Star Wars, to be honest. I think you can see plenty of directors today making some kind of blockbuster will say, oh, I was really influenced by Star Wars. This is going to be my version of Star Wars or Star Wars for New Generation. 
if you get it the sequel to say, oh, this one is going to be much more like Empire Strikes Back. That's the tone we're going for. I don't think I've ever seen a director say, this one's going to be like Return of the Jedi. I just don't no. think like any director's mind goes there. So Star Wars in general, the influence, incredible. This one, not in terms of the narrative of the story, just the effects, I think. So to close this section, we have our third and final Patreon question. It's from Ronan Colopy. Hi, Ronan. Hello, mate. Hello, Ronan. So Ronan has asked, if we can forget, if only, the Star Wars movies made after Return of the Jedi, mm. was that initial run the greatest movie trilogy ever made? <sighs> if not, what tops it? Back to the Future runs it close for me, but don't think Star Wars can be topped. Mm. What do you think, Matt? I can't put Star Wars up there because this one isn't near enough the standards of the first two. I think trilogies as originally conceived, indie trilogy beats us all day long. I'd also throw in the Dollars trilogy, um, probably the first Toy Story trilogy, yeah, but my pick for absolute best would be would have to be the Mighty Ducks. You just cannot beat that one. <laughs> just, it's just unreal the level of quality you maintained. Um, no, no. Favourite trilogy, best one for me, Lord of the Rings, I think, just because Jackson made them right. all at the same time. So there's no dip in the quality across them. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, there's a one-two combo, Star Wars and Empire. I mean, bloody hell. Very okay. possibly the most influential blockbuster made in Star Wars and then probably the most influential sequel in Empire. Return of the Jedi is a clear drop-off. But looking at other great trilogies, I'd still put it above Back to the Future 3. I put it above The Godfather Part 3. Yeah. I prefer The Dark Knight Rises, and I prefer it to Return okay. of the King as well. Oh, wow. Uh, or Alien 3, obviously. Yeah. Not as good as The Last Crusade, but I'd say Empire is a class above Temple of Doom. Mm. Actually, the only trilogy where I'd say every film I think is brilliant is probably Toy Story, because mm. every other trilogy has one week entry. Yeah. The Star Wars trilogy is without doubt the most influential trilogy ever mm. made. I think that's beyond question. And yeah, definitely not perfect as a trilogy, but I wouldn't disagree with Roman necessarily that it's the best trilogy ever because there's no perfect trilogy for me. You see, if there wasn't a John Wick 4, <laughs> I'd be like, John Wick 1, 2, and 3 are progressively incredible as films. Yeah. They just get better as they go. Lord of the Rings, obviously. Toy Story, obviously. I love Nolan's Batman trilogy over this, yeah. to be fair. And okay. Evil Dead as well. I really love that as a trilogy. Yeah, mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, I really hold this up and say it, it's it's got to be up there because I've got them here. And I don't have any other trilogy on VHS, so I'm going to say the first Star Wars trilogy is my favourite trilogy. Lovely. Well, whether you think Return of the Jedi is a good conclusion to the original trilogy or not, its legacy and influence is there in the Hollywood history books, I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. All the right movies ranking. So we're at the end on Return of the Jedi, Tatooine to Endor and back again. All that's left now is to decide where the film will sit in the You're the Right Movies leaderboard. Okay. So, Westy, your choice. So how about you start us off? Your okay. summary and score for Return of the Jedi, please. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be a tough one, but having watched it again and having talked, it, uh, talked about it with you guys, I, I really have like more of a fondness for it now, and I'll give it, mm-hmm. I'll give it the breaks. Let's be honest. It's people trying to make the third film in a billion-dollar franchise and try and do the best that they can with it. And I don't really think they fuck it up. It is still a, a really entertaining, great sci-fi film. And I love some shit, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll sit and happily watch this again. And I watched it through and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and I think that's all a film can be. 
and it's a film that I'll always give an arm around and I'll give a cuddle to. And for six-year-old me, I've made a visit back to that little kid and go, you know what, Sunshine, I'm going to give it some, give it a score just for you. It's an eight out of ten. Lovely. So, yeah, big film, obviously. Been watching it most of my life. Got a lot of nostalgic love for it. Yeah. And there are some great things about it. Jabba's great. The big old sex pervert. <laughs> the speeder bikes and the scout troopers are some of the coolest things in Star Wars, which is saying something. The completion of the arcs of the good guy and the bad guy is as good as it gets. And as a concluding part of the Star Wars trilogy, can't help but be influential. Exactly. The issues I have with it are not really things I think are bad. I mean, Chewie's Tarzan yell is terrible. Yes. But apart from that, the issues are that it was following the most almighty one-two combo you could ever see in Star Wars and Empire. Yeah. It's clearly not as good as either of those. It still is a good blockbuster, though, I think. And for me, I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10. But with the nostalgia side of it, I'm going to bump it up and give it an 8 out of 10. Nice. Okay. And Matt, your summary and score for Return of the Jedi? Yeah. It's a fun film. It's nice to see the gang back together, but I think that's the key word for me. Nice. There's a bit of a lack mm. of threat or an edge to this one. Too kid-friendly at times. Very much put together with the thought of how much cash can they make off the back of yeah. through the toys. And yeah. it really needs a shot in the arm of real invention from someone. You don't really get that with Mark Rand because of the tight leash. Lucas had him on. The writing's very thin, quite sloppy at times. And the performances struggle to break through that, I think. Having said that, effects and music are top-notch. Set pieces are really good. It's kind of just middling of how I'd rank Star Wars films. And for me, it's a good film. It's not a great film, though. So I'm giving it a seven. Okay. We also asked our Twitter followers to rate and review Return of the Jedi and some comments from them. The Revisionist Almanac at Rev Almanac. Not Grey's Sports Almanac. That's oh, a different thing. Obviously not. <laughs> They said, eight seems objectively right. I land on giving it a nine for nostalgia, and at the time, wrapping up one of the best trilogies in cinema history pretty darn well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hazel Mort at Hazel Mort 28 said, original version is nine out of ten. Everything about Jabba is spectacular. The segue to Dagobah is thought-provoking. Every scene involving the Empire is tense and captivating. Mm -hmm. Greatest choreographed space fight in film history, minus one point for the Ewoks. <laughs> oh wow really <laughs> and Stephen Dunning who was also one of our patrons said The Empire Strikes Back is the barometer by which I judge all of the Star Wars movies I love Return of the Jedi but it falls just short of a 10 for me okay 9 I assume then for Stephen 9.5 9. <laughs> 9. yeah. 9.8 don't leave us <laughs> <either>, Stephen <laughs> yeah. and altogether our Twitter followers ranked the film as what do you think out of 10 I'm going to say an 8 8.5 it was 8 out of 10. Oh. So that gives Return of the Jedi 31 out of 40 in total. Mm. You can check our website for the full ranking table. And that's everything we have on Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and don't feel like you've been slowly digested over a thousand years. <laughs> I do. <No. laughs> and next time, we've said this before, but next time, Luke, Westy and Matt are definitely talking about all the President's men. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We had to do a recount because nobody could believe it actually won the vote. <laughs> but it turns out that it did. Yeah. To find out more about becoming a patron, accessing our archive bonus episode and supporting us in what we do, please visit patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. You can subscribe, rate and review us on the iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Socially you can keep up with all the right movies on Twitter, where we are at 80 Right Movies. 
on YouTube, we are youtube.com forward slash all the right movies. Instagram is at all the underscore right movies. You can join our Facebook group to get in there with all the movie fun. And our website is all the right movies.com. All correct. Yep. We're all off now to re watch a new hope and see how much of what Obi Wan said was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> please come back next time, though, for all the president's men. Please do, yeah. guys. Thank yes, you. Yes, please do. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.